listen to me. While I will admit to a certain cynicism, the fact is that I'm a naysayer and hatchet man in the fight against violence. I pride myself in taking a punch and I'll gladly take another because I choose to live my life in the company of Gandhi and King. My concerns are global. I reject absolutely revenge, aggression, and retaliation. The foundation of such a method is love. I love you, Sheriff Truman. Albert's path is a strange and difficult one. Drop it. Duncan and both come correct. Hello, everyone. This is Bo. <laughs> I'm screwing up the opening already. Uh, and you have joined us again for Duncan and Bo uh, go to Twin Peaks. Um, obviously, uh, as the title would imply, I'm not the only person here. Duncan McLeish, how are you, sir? I'm here. Oh. That's not what you asked me. Um, I'm well. <laughs> all right, all right. You seem aloof. I'm always aloof. Yeah, well, I guess that is part of your mysterious Footless and fancy-free, not a care in the world. Hold. Much, Hold. much like, much like James. Yeah. What's going on inside his head? It's just not a care in the world. Old sunshine on his shoulder, McLeish. They call him. That's exactly. I have cartoon boards constantly on my shoulder, singing songs. <laughs> also, also yum yum. Let's not forget yum-yum. that. Yeah, let's not forget Yum Yum, and I'm sure there's been about five or six other nicknames since then. Uh, I just want to say, before we kick in and before you come up with another 20 nicknames, because I know how your brain operates, Ransdell, um, I just want to say a, a huge thanks to the overwhelming um, response to our previous episode, the longest Duncan and Bo episode ever dropped. But I think we really captured the imagination of our, of our listeners and took them on a journey, Bo. A journey into a world where James is now a larger-than-life, fully-realized, two-dimensional character, because that's how his brain works. Yeah. Um, and and the, the overwhelming support for the, the hawk sound and um, uh, Nadine's Wet Dream, which is coming soon by Comahawk. Uh, you, just so much love for that episode. <laughs> yeah, it. I really felt as I was editing it, this is a train wreck. Um, <laughs> is that a train wreck? Bro? Yeah. So I'm. Uh, yeah. I, I feel the only way to proceed is is not to try to emulate what happened in the in the last episode. And in fact, I am recommending a format change that is more NPR based. Um, a lot of low voices. At some point, we'll have a reporter talking about like, you know, bizarre Belgian French horns or something. You know, yep. some, something and, cultural. Yeah, the impact of the polenta crisis. A wonderful example. Um, yeah, I it, yes, the the coma hog thing. Uh, I, I believe took off a little more than I expected, but I'm I'm always pleased by that. Like I, I, as I said in the previous episode, whenever someone uh, posts on the Facebook page, um, which you can find on you know either. Podcast under the stairs or Legion podcasts. We're not we're not so big in our britches, Duncan, that uh, we have a Facebook group dedicated uh, to Duncan and Bo. Come correct or it's offshoots. And reason being, both of us have about twelve Facebook groups. <laughs> so. Yeah, we have 
We have a few shows, but and all of them already have pages. Adding an additional one on top of that, maybe the straw that broke the camel's back. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there is nothing sadder than a camel in a wheelchair. So <laughs> we're going to uh, just. But if you want to join in, uh, you can go to the Legion Podcasts uh, Facebook group or the podcast under the stairs, or, or you know just. It, pick a Facebook group. We're probably moderators on it. Um, doesn't matter what it is. It could be crochet, uh, bad 50s music, uh, which may... Let's not get into that yet. <laughs> I know you're, you're cocked and ready to go on this one, but you need to you need to hold off. That bit doesn't happen to very, very, very late in the, in, the, in the day, Bob, so you need to hold back on that. Oh, yeah, I know, I know. But as, as I told you prior to the recording... As, as soon as, there, let's just get it out of the way, there is a scene in one of the episodes we're covering tonight in which James sings. And Inexplicable scene in which no no context right. at all for this scene. Um, and We like to use the word weird on this show, Lynchian. Um, I, I, I want to say this was one step too far, Bo, but we'll get into it. I think yeah. it, was, it, was one, it was one step too far from my already fragile Twin Peaks brain. Um, James, and it is, it's the thing, <laughs> Like a woman. Um, the thing about that scene, which we'll get to, is it is followed up in quick succession by one of my favourite slash most terrifying scenes in the history of Twin Peaks. So I, I don't know if... There is a logical reason for the singing scene to lull you into a false sense of security, which makes the scene that comes after it even more traumatising. Or if it is just the inmates are running the asylum by this point, I don't know. Yeah, there. You know, the deeper we get into season two, there are points where this series kind of goes up its own ass. And yeah, someone becomes a someone. Someone becomes a the handle of a draw. <laughs> Y- yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, all right. But, Let's get to no. We're yeah. spoilers. Don't spoil. No spoilers. Jesus Christ, McLeish! How many times do we have to say this is a spoiler-free podcast? I almost forgot the word podcast. <laughs> this is just a spoiler-free. This is a spoiler-free, which is zero calories and very refreshing. It's a uh, spoiler-free Skype call. <laughs> This is how so, me and Bo speak to each other out with podcasts. It's always spoiler-free. Always yes. spoiler-free. Uh, all right, so in, in grand tradition, before we get into Twin Peaks, let's avoid the actual subject matter for a little bit. Um, so I uh, normally, at this point, we would kind of recommend something to each other, but uh, the only thing that I've really watched recently, uh, noteworthy, is uh, I rewatched The Girl with All the Gifts. Um Ooh. And I guess, you know, it just finally hit video and I'd seen it before in the theaters. And uh, uh, and that is just The Last of Us, the movie. And which is fine. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, pretty much. So um, I think it begins strong. I think it ends real strong. I think it meanders a little bit in the middle, but that's fine. It's a good movie. Um, but I wanted to talk about this crazy spate of trailers that have been hitting. Oh. So the Dark Tower trailer landed today. Yeah, I, I, apparently I'm not as keen as everyone else, and it does have McConaughey in it, and I love a bit of McConaughey, and I do love a bit of the Idris Elba 
Um, but I'm not overly familiar with the source material. Um, so, yeah, so the trailer landed, and I was like, yeah, it looks pretty cool. It looks pretty cool. But, I'd, like, the internet was like, oh, my God, fucking fountains of semen everywhere. And I was just like, yeah, maybe I need to read the books. Because um, it, it looked interesting. It just didn't look like the most amazing thing ever. Yeah, I, I've been I, burned before, Bo. I've been burned before. I have read all of the books. And speaking of uh, material that goes up its own ass, that last book <laughs> is not great. Um, but that said, there I think it's the fifth book is called uh, The Wolves of the Kala, which is a, a bit of a prequel. Um, it's, you know, kind of bookended by... Uh, uh, the current storyline of the Dark Tower series, but it, it kind of is, is a throwback story to Roland Deschain, who is the Idris Elba character, um, back in the day, back before he was, uh, before the world moved on, is how they describe it in the books, before everything went to shit. And uh, it's a fantastic book. It's a great story. And I would almost recommend, like, even if you don't read any of the other stuff, read uh, Wolves of the Kala. It's, it, it's fantastic. But um, I kind of had the same impression that you did. I was like, yeah, it looks fine. You know, like all the loading of the the guns, you know, his magic bullet stuff. And even in the books, that, that's described as like there is he, – he has such skill with a revolver that it does have the appearance of magic. Right. Um, so I thought that was kind of cool. I, I – as much as I hate to say this, Duncan, I kept thinking how great Matthew McConaughey was as a pick for the Man in Black, aka Randall Flagg, because it's yeah. really the same character. I, the number of times I've wanted to see him play Randall Flagg in an, a, a really big budget adaptation of The Stand. Yeah, I mean it's it, it's ridiculous. And then I saw it, and I was like, you know what? I don't know. I don't know if I was right about that. I, I, I might have gotten that wrong. Uh, he's a little too McConaughey hey for me in, in yeah, those lines. Yeah, McConaughey is... I think what makes him a really interesting actor is how much he can adapt who he just is baseline into other roles. So, like, I really don't think... like See when you, see when you heard his Oscar acceptance speech... Um, for Dallas Buyers Club, when he was up there accepting that award, um, and this is this is just fresh off the heels of his appearance in True Detective, I realised that there really isn't that much difference between Rustin Cole and McConaughey. I'd like when you hear him tell a story like he did in his acceptance, I was like, you are a, you are the you are the the optimistic side of the same character. You know, I I I think. And when you watch things like Dallas Buyers Club as well, or uh, Dirt, I get the feeling that McConaughey... You mean Mud? Mud, sorry. Um, I get the feeling that McConaughey has become the actor he is now, you know, this reconnaissance that people talk about, just because he just started playing a bit more into himself, um, and that's what makes him interesting. The, the danger of that, though, is there are limits to how far you can push that. Um, and not only limits, but the more roles he accepts, 
the more like the more serious roles he accepts, the more we're going to catch on to that. If that makes sense. And I think like I watched, I was stoked to see it. Like anything with him in it now, I will watch. Like regardless, it could be another romantic comedy, and I would probably still watch it anyway. Um, and like I say, I really like Idris Elba. I am over the moon that Idris Elba is getting the roles that he's getting now because he's been a phenomenal working actor in the UK for many, many, many years. And it just seems like now Hollywood's like, oh yeah, <laughs> Idris Elba. Um, so I, like, I'm happy about that. I think because it's because it's and generally there can be things that like. I, Totally different example, but in a similar sort of vein. I have no vested interest in something like Guardians of the Galaxy. I knew nothing about it. That first trailer arrived, didn't know what I was going to see, watched it, and really enjoyed it. There are other Marvel properties which I have not enjoyed. There are plenty of Stephen King properties where, like, in in the old days, I used to read a lot of Stephen King, but kind of 2001-2002-ish, I kind of went off him. Um, and there have been plenty of adaptations of King stuff that I just don't get into at all. Um, even stuff I've read, but more more recently, something like Cell, which was a book I couldn't even finish. Um, you know, seeing the adaptation of that and not getting into it at all, just realising that it just wasn't for me. The, the Dark Tower, in theory, seems like something I should be really interested in. Um, and I love the fact that there's already all these, like, reaction trailers coming out pointing out all these links to all the other King works um, like if you watch it there's easter eggs in there you can see links to it and the stand or whatever and I was like oh cool like that but I, I I watched it and I thought it looks interesting and then I saw how everyone else was reacting online and I'm like I am not as excited as everyone else like at all like even near excited as everyone else and that's never a good sign like, from my point of view, I mean, occasionally I will get surprised, but it's Stephen King, author that I really, really, you know, admire, enjoy, and respect, and it has two actors and central roles that I think are phenomenal actors, and I watched it, and I was very nonplus at the end of it. Um, so I'm kind of hoping, kind of hoping, more trailers, more information spills out, and it gets me a bit more excited, but as it stands just now, I'm not rushing out the door to go and see this. I'll probably give it a week until it quietens down and then venture out to the cinema so I can get a quieter screening. But this is not like a day one for me at all. Yeah. I I I, I will go see it because I'm kind of invested into that series, uh, mm-hmm. having having read all the books. But it does strike me as kind of funny when people talk about uh, like, oh, well, there are Easter eggs. It's like, well, no fucking shit. The The Dark Tower series is nothing but the, like, sinew that ties the entire King universe together. Yeah, it's like, I heard it once described as, like, a Rosetta Stone to, to the King universe. Yeah. Like, which I thought, I thought was really cool. But, once again, does that... My, my issue with some of the superhero um, <laughs> movies is that... Like comic book fans get a completely different level of enjoyment out of those movies for all the Easter eggs that are in there that I have no idea what they are, and to be honest, we could not give a fuck. If this is a movie which is going to pin itself down with having the story, but look at all the cool things we're thrown into, to all these links to other things like that, I I, I get skeptical of stuff like that really fucking quick. To me, first and foremost, get your story right. You know, what I mean, get your story right, get your 
your attention to detail, let your actors do what they they do, um, and if you have the opportunity, pepper some of that stuff in the background, please do it. But if you start leaning into it, which is my gripe with a lot of Marvel content at the moment, is it seems very self-serving. The whole thing seems self-serving to like, really promote the next fucking movie. Yeah, well, welcome um, to comic books, Duncan. Yeah, but the comic books are a medium. Film is a completely different medium, and you can do adaptations of things without having to serve up the next ten years of cinema. Um, I, you know, I'm, 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 I, my, my tolerance for that has become wafer thin um, as of the last year, um, and it's it's spilling out. It's a nasty habit that other the other genres are starting to take on board, which is not a good thing, just because. There's, I understand serve your fans, right? I, I understand that that is that is the basis for a lot of things. And horror films, to an extent, should serve their fans, and comic book films should serve the source material fans and all the rest. But I don't feel like I should have to go into the cinema and be, on some level, penalised because I I don't understand what fucking Trask Industries is. Um, you know, and the the importance of that, and then hear people gasp, and it's like, oh, look at that, fucking right, oh, well, great, someone's referenced something that I don't know, that's that's fantastic, oh, no, we've got another reference, oh, fantastic, here we go, oh, we're feeling at this character at the end, that I don't know who that is, all these fucking things at the end, you've got me on the wrong day, Bo Ranstall, apparently um, so, things, you were feisty, the things at the end of these, fu- these fucking Marvel things at the end, where introduce a new character and i'm like i don't know who this is oh it's played by someone famous that'll be interesting i wonder when he's gonna appear all right that's right in the summer in the next movie which will link into it and i just it gets to a point where that's why we spoke about this before that's why i i think i enjoyed i enjoyed guardians of the galaxy so much i've not seen the second one yet but i enjoyed that first one because it just felt like its own thing just felt like a self-contained movie and I went to see it and I thought you know this is fun and it helps that you've got someone like James Gunn penning it and directing it um, you know I just felt like it's own movie it just felt great sat and watched it really enjoyed it um, but they're already starting to link that into other things now and I, I just every now and again it's nice to watch something which is just a movie yeah <laughs> you know, sure just a fucking just a standalone movie bro what happened okay. to the good old days of one and done? See, all right, I feel the same way uh, that you do about superhero movies um, with the Star Wars movies. Like, I, that's my, you know, enough already uh, mm-hmm. kind of thing. So, it, yeah, yeah, but I, I think that's the, the difference being, right, if you take Rogue One out of the equation, and technically you can take Rogue One out of the equation because there's nothing in you know, part seven that really is Rogue One related. You know, that's someone deciding to make a movie to bridge the gap between two movies. Um, to me, those are just sequels. You know I mean? Those are sequels, like, to, to movies, which I don't think is the same when you're talking about, oh, right, we're going to watch a, a Thor movie. And, oh, look, there's a cameo at the end which is going to link to the Avengers. And, oh, look at the, this Avengers cameo which is going to link to the Hulk movie. Which is, oh, and here we go, and there's a link to the Iron Man movie. These are not sequels. You know what I mean? These are, yeah, they're all the, the same genus or same family tree. 
um, but they're not sequels. And I get the feeling that they just do these things to spin them out, to try and really get people amped to go and see movies that generally the fans are already amped to go and see anyway. I, I, I don't get... To me, like I say, I, I can see there are a lot... I, I know for a fact that you have fatigue when it comes to Star Wars. You were quite happy when it finished, the way it finished, and you were kind of on the... I don't know how this is going to work out. You went to see Episode 7 and you thought Episode 7 was okay. You didn't love it. Um, but Episode 8 and Episode 9 are sequels. So I think I think it's 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 slightly it's slightly different. I, I mean, if at the end of episode eight there is some sort of Easter egg thing at the you know like some after fucking credit sequence where Samuel L. Jackson returns as Mace Windu uh, back from the dead, you know, and he like hires a crack team of fucking Ewok Jedi's to, to star in the the right, spin-off now I'm movie. On board. Now you got it. <laughs> you know, like in some spin-off movie. Then, yeah, I get sceptical of that. And that might actually happen, because it's ultimately the same parent company behind both um, now kind of pulling the strings. And that might happen. That might happen. You know, that, that might go that way. Um, but at the moment, it's not doing that. And I, like I say, I, I, there, is a, there is a level of... Not for... Fatigue, yeah. There's a level of fatigue with that anyway with me, and that's setting really quick. But I think that the longer it goes on, the more I see people are really pinning. I mean, we've got like a new Mummy movie coming out in what, like about a month and a half or something, um, and it basically looks like Mission Impossible with mummies. Um, and there is no doubt in my mind at all there are going to be characters in that or referenced in that that are going to be in this greater universe. Universal Monsters, and I I would almost fucking put money down, cold hard cash down, that there will be some sort of after credit sequence which will link in one of the other movies. I can almost guarantee oh, yeah. it because a hundred percent. Well, they've already been talking about wanting to have the you know monster verse, the Universal monster verse. Um, so you know it's <laughs> going to be some shit like yeah. Doctor Jekyll showing up at the end of that movie or or something, uh, and it's but- going to be terrible. It's yeah, gonna but be I, 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 I can watch a mummy movie and not have that. You know, give me the next movie somewhere down the line. And, it, you know, if you want to link it all up later on, link it all up later on. Don't already have this, like, burden of presumption that I want to go and see something or I need to go and see something by shoving an after credit sequence in. Yeah. And there's it, a lot of hopes put on this movie. This movie has got so much. I mean, it will do well because Tom Cruise is in it, so it'll take in a lot of money. But, you know, that does not a good movie make, sir. The the one exception to our uh, incessant bitching here um, is <laughs> the, the fact that Skull Island is the, like, connective tissue to a movie where King Kong and Godzilla fight. Oh, yeah, I, I and, loved like, I, yeah. I saw Skull Island a week and a half ago. I, I thought it was a great movie. I thought I thought it was exactly what I wanted. It was exactly what I wanted from Peter Jackson's King Kong movie, which I didn't get. I got Jack Black um, instead. But yeah, I thought it was a ton of fun. And, like, and, and the fact that they linked all that stuff at the end, I was like, yeah, cool. Give me that fucking movie. Give me a giant fucking gorilla um, and give me Godzilla in the same movie. And that rhymes. That's right, yo. Um, <laughs> like, I, Good God. I, I, I want to see that fucking movie. That's how you. That's how you do that. You know what I mean? Um, not this. Uh, 
and there was references. Like, that's what I quite liked about uh, Skull Island as well. Is there's references in that to you know all these creatures and all the rest. So they're, they're painting. In the case of that one, I think that's almost the, the only acceptable kind of genre of movie you can actually get away with. That is at the end of it when you have two giant fucking creatures fighting more giant creatures. Yes, give me that. You know what I mean? That's the only time I think is acceptable to throw those Easter eggs in. That's the conclusion I've come out from this conversation. I hadn't even thought about that before, but you've made me focus more on the fact that I want more movies with giants fighting giants. Yeah, I, you know, that's what I'm here for, Duncan, is to, uh, like, using the Socratic method to lead you to a deeper truth. I'll tell you what I watched this week, actually. Well, finished, because I watched the first episode and then forgot I'd watched the first episode, which is never a good sign, but... <laughs> um, but I watched the HBO's The Night Of. Oh, yeah, right. I never finished that either. I forgot that was a thing. Really fucking good. Really? really? really, really okay. Good. Yeah, really, really, really good. Thoroughly enjoyed that one. Um, it, it didn't go quite the way I expected, and it had a very sort of The Wire ending um, in that, you know, I didn't really necessarily feel the need to wrap anything like in a nice, neat bow. But, um, yeah, turns out, really enjoyed that. Turns out HBO know what they're doing, but who would have guessed? Yeah, yeah, it seems like they've been doing quality television for some time. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I I don't know what the, what the holdup with me was on uh, the night of. I watched, I think, two episodes and then just kind of fell off, but... It's very slow. It is a, it is a very slow burn. I think it, it really takes to about the... It's only eight episodes as well but because it's hbo it's hour-long episodes and it really took to about episode four before i found myself kind of fully invested in wanting to know where things went and before that it really was kind of it was it lays a lot of groundwork um down in a way where you, I mean, it's best to binge watch something like that. I don't think it's necessarily great to be in a position. I would, I would have struggled to watch that week on week. I would have really, really, really struggled, because um, it's not one of those shows where, like, the last episode is like gifting up a cliffhanger that you need to watch the next episode. It kind of just finishes like a part of the story. So, um, hmm. yeah, this it was, it was really, really good though. I, I thoroughly enjoyed. And what what I really enjoyed about it, and there's no spoilers really in this at all, what I really enjoyed about it is how quickly I started to doubt my position on the central character. Like, how, how quickly like a bit of evidence would come out. The way I liken it to is, um, it kind of felt like a really dark, realistic, sinister serial. You know, the podcast serial. Uh-huh. And you would listen to that, and week on week, I would be like, oh, Adnan did it. No, well, Adnan didn't do it. Maybe, maybe he did. Maybe he got help. Maybe someone helped him do it. You know, like this constant change in the positions. And right up to the last episode of The Night Of, I was still going backwards and forwards to whether or not he'd done it. And the beginning of that show sets up in such a way where... You think you have a clear idea of what's happened, but the longer the, you get into the show, you know you realise that things are not as black and white as you thought before. So hmm. yeah, it's worth it's worth going back to check out. Definitely, it's a, a good, a, a, a very well crafted, very well directed and acted show. 
which like I just I feel like you know we're, we are spoiled for a lot of that sort of content at the moment and a lot of it is coming from that kind of HBO stable um, where that, that came out last year so last year from HBO we got Vice Principals which I thought was one of the funniest shows I'd seen in a long time um, with Game of Thrones Westworld <laughs> it's just like yeah and <laughs> I, I, I man Silicon Valley came back and yeah. uh, I just I love that show so much yeah. uh, I, I mean they, they're you know it's, it's almost like that as as a prerequisite if it has HBO on it you're going to watch it um, and it's going to be pretty good um, and rumours flying around just now that they are resurrecting um, True Detective for a season three coming next year, I believe. So. Hey, you know, if uh, Nick Puzzle Box wants to... Uh, <laughs> What's in the box? <laughs> what? What's in the box? Well, it's a flat circle. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, if, if enough time has, has passed for Nick Pizzolatto uh, to, you know come up with something as finely crafted as that first season and and you get like interesting actors and interesting performances have never been that show's problem except for um the Channing Tatum that we don't like um (laughs) what's his name Kelsey Grammer no that's not right (laughs) Tyler Lautner maybe no that wasn't it the, the guy that was in uh the a Warlord of Mars movie that nobody saw. Um, oh yeah, fucking John 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 John, John Jingleheimer Schmidt. <laughs> John Carpenter. John Carpenter's Warlords of Mars. Ghosts of Mars. Yeah, right, that's right. It was in Ghosts of he Mars. Was in, it was Ice Cube. Ice, Ice Cube, Cube that's is who that's I was it. trying to think of. Yes, well done. <laughs> <laughs> the, the 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 like I I love John Carpenter. Like I like I I I would. Like maybe even offer up my firstborn son to to John Carpenter as some sort of sacrificial, you know, lamb, so he would do something else. But and I love Ghost of Mars. I think Ghost of Mars is a fucking infinitely funny, wacky little weird movie. But Desolation Williams is the worst name for a character ever. It's the worst name for a character ever. You might as well have called him, you know, Baddy McCriminal Face. Um, it's just shit. I, I, you know, yes, you're right. You're right. It is a terrible name, but I think that movie is just so B movie from top to bottom that you know you have a guy named Desolation Jones or Desolation Williams in it. Uh, I'm fine with that. You know, like like Natasha Hinstrich's character could have been Blondie Big Nice. <laughs> He's Desolation Williams. Uh, the, uh, um, you know, main bad guy could just be, uh, Return of the Living Dead (laughs) three-face. And I I would have been fine with all of that. Uh, Yeah, I I think my my, my issue is how that is delivered, though. Like, where they're building up this, you know, crime on Mars and all the rest, you're building up, and I'm like, oh, I'm invested in this. But yeah, we're hunting down criminal Desolation Williams. And I'm like, oh, Really? Is that the movie? Right. Well, let's 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 take off the excitement hat. Right. Oh, let's grab I, this. <laughs> I'm sorry. Go fuck myself. Is that <laughs> okay? I understand now. I understand what I'm watching. <laughs> yeah. It's yes. Well, I mean, 
it turns out, Duncan, we did an entire roundtable podcast talking about John Carpenter movies, up to yeah. and including Ghosts of Mars. Turns out I was the only one that defended that movie as well. I, well, <laughs> I, you know, I watched it. Uh, well, actually, the, when we did the roundtable was probably the, the last time I watched it. And I like it more now than I did yeah. the first time I saw it. Because the first time you see it, you think you're seeing a John Carpenter movie, which you are. <laughs> But you're seeing, like, Assault on Precinct 13, John Carpenter, only without the kind of bad attitude that that movie has. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like a, it's like a very goofy version of that. Yes. It's, it's almost paint by numbers Carpenter as well. Which, yeah. And, which is uncomfortable yeah. to watch for someone who, like, regularly kind of bucked the trend of, of, of the way movies were were being told, you know, he deliberately, he deliberately made them quite cynical and quite nihilistic. And then when you watch that movie, you're like, this is a goofy movie. No, John Carpenter. <laughs> what, what are you doing? This is a goofy movie. Yeah. Um, hey, but yeah, I, I think I've always said, yeah. Carpenter's movies, well, or even, the, even the ones that aren't like Assault and Precinct 13, they will stand the test of time when people go back to them you realise that the the ones that are not of the highest standard are never as bad as you think. It's that it's that idea of like you say, you're walking in to watch a carpenter movie, you just expect it to be wall to wall amazing. And if it's not that, you al- you almost kinda become more critical of the movie because it's not like that. That when you revisit it knowing it's not like that, you can enjoy it more. Yes. Yeah. I I, I agree. Uh I still, you know, like push come to shove, am I gonna sit down and watch Ghosts of Mars anytime soon? Of course not. Um, am I going to <laughs> abduct, brainwash, and then name a child Desolation Williams? Of course I will. Um, <laughs> I christen thee Desolation. <laughs> my name is Jim. Not anymore. It's not. You're not coming out of that cellar until you start answering a Desolation. <laughs> And you black up as well. Um, Jim doesn't so, eat. Desolation does. Yeah. Um, Desolation all right. eats danger. <laughs> shall, shall we turn our attention, Duncan, to the actual point of this podcast? And, and some would argue there is no point, and, and they're not there wrong. There is no point to this one. Nope. No point. Nope. Uh, but uh, Twin Peaks seems to be a recurring theme, at least. It comes up. <laughs> In yeah, these episodes, at least for the next, like for the next, I don't know, however many months, like six months at this rate. <laughs> I, you know, we're on a good pace though. We're we, in we two weeks. We're knocking out four episodes, so uh, we're gonna we're gonna try to keep that up. Um. Uh. All right. So yeah. So let let's get into this. We are talking about uh, episodes two and three of season two. The first episode on the docket this evening is an episode entitled Coma. Ed. Ed. <laughs> I'm a hawk! <laughs> it's... I almost feel like, let's just replay the last episode and just be done with it. <laughs> like, everyone liked that one. We're just gonna screw things up this time. Um, <laughs> hey, did you guys talk about the same episodes? It's the same, same episode, as a matter of fact. <laughs> Um, probably for the best, but no, no, we're going to push forward. So, uh, we, we begin with, uh, 
breakfast between Albert, uh, Agent Rosenfeld, and Agent Cooper, who is still re- uh, recovering, although he is on the mend uh, from the gunshots he received in the season one finale. And uh, we, we get a, a few pieces of information along with an inexplicable um, like barbershop quartet in the background of this scene. Yeah. Yeah. Like not really being used for any reason at all. They're not singing. Nope. So they're just standing eating. No, yep. Just hanging out uh, in full barbershop quartet regalia. Um, so yeah. It's very strange. So... But this one is this episode is directed by David Lynch, so and, no surprises, uh, right? Boy, is it! Um, so <laughs> we get a, a couple of pieces of critical information here, which is that uh, one Renette uh, Pulaski, as we saw at the end of the terrifying uh, conclusion to, to the last episode, is now awake, although she is not speaking, and and uh, in between talks of. Uh, the Tibetan happy generations. Uh, Agent Cooper uh, is like, yeah, she's probably in shock. Um, we also get a really nice Jaws joke in this scene, which yeah. I enjoy, mm-hmm. where uh, Agent Rosenfeld says that he has uh, examined the contents of Jacques Renault's stomach. And there's a, what is it? It's a license plate. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> basically, it's the list of stuff that they find in the tiger shark's belly. In Jaws, which is pretty funny. Um, and then uh, he reveals that um, Jacques Renault was killed uh, not by, like, strangulation, like, you know, hands around the throat or re- uh, rope around the throat or anything like that. He was killed with a pillow, which we, of course, know. We saw that. We did. As well as the medical tape, uh, you know, was was taken from the hospital. And also that, uh, surprise, surprise, they are investigating the fire at the mill as uh, a case of arson. And uh, the other big, it's not even a reveal, it's just kind of a, non, a non-starter in this conversation, is that Agent Cooper asks, hey, uh, do we know who shot me yet? Because I don't remember, because I was too busy getting shot. And, you know, that takes your attention. And uh, he says, no, they, they talked to, uh, the, you know, the room service guy who, uh, of course, is now a ghost, um, as we've established. And he doesn't have any, any information. And the only thing that Agent Cooper knows for sure is that he gave uh, his ring to the giant and now his ring is gone. So, obviously, his dream giant is real. Dream giant is real. Um, dream giant Israel is... Yeah, that's his full name. <laughs> dream giant Israel. Yes. He's in constant conflict with the, 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 state the sovereign of state of Palestine. <laughs> <laughs> it, you know, Hamas and their anti-giant stance is not helping. Did you just see you had hummus? I, oh, God, I could go for some hummus and pita right now. Um <laughs> I could, you know, because I do this before uh, I get a chance to eat dinner. And, That's right. And so I, I... You don't get to eat until you change your name to Desolation. <laughs> Bo, Bo does not eat. Desolation does. <laughs> um, the other thing, which will probably not come up anywhere uh, in the season, 
is that uh, Agent Cooper's old partner, um, who is in the uh, what, uh, what does Albert uh, call it the uh, the Laugh Academy? Yes. Which is my second favorite reference to mental institutions. The first, of course, being Giggle Factory. I prefer Giggle that Factory. over, yeah, but it, you know, both just as good. Um, but his old partner, Wyndham Earl, has uh, flown the coop, coop, and uh, is now on the loose and apparently is very dangerous. And uh, And before we leave the scene... We also get a uh, creepy Japanese guy, uh, or Chinese guy, sorry. Um, Asian man. A, an Asian gentleman who we know is associated somehow with Josie Packard, who is observing and, and following Agent Cooper. I just want to stress that Wyndham Errol makes him sound like a character from Tombstone. Or, or a Faulkner novel is what I always think of. of like, yeah. You know. <laughs> Wyndham Earl was, you know, my mother was Wyndham Earl. Um, <laughs> see, that's a, it's a deep cut. That's an as I like, uh, nothing. Go ahead, Duncan. <laughs> Hello, my baby. Hello, my. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Just breaking the song every time I screw yeah, up. Operation over. Distraction is a, is working, boy. They don't know. They don't know. Ah, it's, it's, Seamless, seamless, Duncan. Um, so let's go to the creepiest house de- ever now, um, yep, because yep. <laughs> Donna, Donna is doing the Meals on Wheels, right? Like she's taking over Laura Palmer's place uh, in an effort to continue her investigation of the the Laura Palmer murder on her she own. She was guided that way. She was told to take a look into that, so she has taken on board. She's no longer wearing the funky sunglasses and, and sporting the bad girl persona. She's now doing her bit for society and also to find us some information. She's delivering some meals, uh, meals on wheels things. And she arrives, like you say, uh, like, well, I'm just going to assume it's her first house on the stop. And this would put me off. Like, I'd be like that. I'm not cut out for this job. I should go and do something else. Yes. It doesn't take me to a house like this. I have stumbled into the home of a devil child. Uh, because she shows up. Who looks like, by the way, who looks like a very young David Lynch. Oh, he, he's a mini David Lynch for sure. And like down to How the would mini David Lynch speak? Uh, oh boy. I have some green corn. So, which is an integral <laughs> moment in this episode where, uh, uh, maybe not so integral, but it's wonderful. Because, uh, in, I mean, this is a Mulholland Drive scene where oh, yeah. nothing makes sense. Uh, but Minnie David Lynch is in a tuxedo and a bow tie. Yeah. While, assumedly, his grandmother is in bed uh, being given this meal. And she's like, you know, have you, uh, do you see any cream corn on this plate? And Donna lifts up the lid. And sure enough, it's a delicious chicken breast as well as uh, some cream corn and rice. And she's like, uh-huh. And then she puts the lid back on, and the kid is like, we've never worked together before, right? <laughs> and she's like, no, this is the first time we've met. And uh, the grandmother is like, look again. And Donna pulls uh, off the lid, 
And she's like, is there cream corn on this plate? And Donna's like, what? No. Uh, and instead a dove flies out. And uh, because the grandmother is like, my, my grandson is learning magic. And they cut to mini David Lynch. And he's got his hands cupped together. And it's just full of uh, cream corn. Cream corn, yeah. Yeah. And it's just, yeah. It's, and also the kid speaks French for no good reason. You know, I don't have an answer. I just thought I'd say, "Well, you know, <laughs> right?" Like, like you do. Um, yeah. You know, when you're Mini David Lynch, you you are both a lucid dreamer, uh, bilingual, and a bit of a magician, um, and also possibly a devil baby. Uh, hashtag Devil Baby Yellow. Um, it's like, boy, that's a callback. That's like that's like cut in a half. Yeah, yeah. Um, give me a second while I get into my DeLorean and go back to a time when that was mentioned. Yeah, give um, me a minute to fire up my time machine to a place where Back to the Future jokes were relevant. Um, <laughs> and, G- give me a time machine that takes me back to the point of when you create a time machine so I can steal your time machine so you can't create another one. Oh, this is going primer on us. No, no good can come of this. <laughs> oh, why are we not watching primer we right sh- now? Primer can- makes more sense in this scene. The whole yes. movie makes more sense than this one scene. Yeah, yeah. I mean, not the go. first time you watch it. Um, <laughs> but, I, like, I watched this cream corn scene a number of times. And I was, the whole time, just like, what in the hell is this about? I thought uh, you were going to say you couldn't see how he did the trick. <laughs> I, I will. And that's the other thing that really got me, Duncan, is that I think he's unholy for that cream corn trick. <laughs> you, I, I, I couldn't see the switch. I couldn't see the switch. First of all... <laughs> Our sleight of hand must have been incredible. Uh, boy, and sorry I went through puberty just then. Uh, but first of all, <laughs> anytime you see a kid who has uh, double fistfuls of cream corn, you're in a yeah. bad scene. you got to get the fuck out of there. Because why does that kid have the corn? Doesn't matter. You are in some shit. Get yeah. moving. I've uh, seen children of the corn. You know what I'm saying? Children of the cream corn. Is that what we're <laughs> Children doing? Children of the cream corn. That's exactly what this scene is. I Children love it. Um, <laughs> Outlander! <laughs> <laughs> we have whatever your, the French word is. <laughs> we have your woman, Outlander, and the cream corn. It's like characters running away from kids and just like being devoured by a pool of not quicksand but cream corn. Right, with just bad uh, light effects thrown on top of it. Oh, make that movie, someone. He who walks between the corn. Um, <laughs> it works on three, maybe four levels. <laughs> so. <laughs> so, uh, the the grandmother is like, hey, I don't have any information about Laura Palmer. Um, and also, you should probably leave because as soon as Minnie David Lynch sheds his human skin, you're going to see some shit. <laughs> so, she's like, you might want to check Mr. Smith next door, though. Who's a bit of a shut-in. And uh, Donna goes over, knocks on the door. No Mr. Smith answers. Uh, because he's gone to Washington, Duncan. Mm-hmm. Pause for laughter. Um, <laughs> Are you still pausing for the laughter? 
Yeah, I I, I was. I, I that's going to be second. a big hit with the listeners. Give me a second. Give me a second. <laughs> oh, both. I'm Bo. you know I I'm workshopping this the way that the Marx Brothers used to, where they would build <laughs> in pauses in their movies because they had done the films essentially live, so they knew how long the laugh break was going to be. Yeah. Um, and I I think I might have underestimated. Um, <laughs> so, so, so off Donna fucks. Uh, yes, she does all fuck. And uh, then we cut to the hospital and the bedside of Renette Pulaski, where Agent Cooper and Sheriff Truman are following the instructions on the stools uh, <laughs> in an extended scene where they're trying to get them raised to a proper height uh, so that they can interview Renette uh, Pulaski. So I like to call this interview Renette Pulaski stroke traumatize the fuck out of her right uh yeah. you might as well have just wave cream corn in front of her uh, <laughs> which is what goes for smelling salts in twin peaks you know? <laughs> it's metaphor <laughs> uh so uh oh, agent cooper and sheriff truman um are are tell are like talking to renette pulaski who looks like she's awake but she's just kind of staring blankly up into space, um, which has been my experience with women my entire life. Um, <laughs> part part of this show is really just a confessional uh, for myself. Yep. Um, so it's my favorite bit, <laughs> right? Just to learn, all, like, let's peel back another dark layer. Um, <laughs> just nothing but vices and insecurities. That's all I got, Duncan. <laughs> all held together by sarcasm. Um, but so they show her picture of Leo Johnson. Yeah, like a like a like a proper sketch. No, it's it's an actual picture, isn't it? No, no, no. It's it's like the uh, charcoal drawing almost. Yeah, it's like an e-fit sketch thing, sort of hand-drawn sketch of Leo. Yeah, and um, you know, it's not responsive to that. Like this is not this is not the droid you're looking for. Right. Um, and then they show them the the crazy picture of bob which to be honest with you even if i didn't know who bob was and i saw that picture and i'd just come out of a coma um after being filmed you know wandering the rail tracks badly 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 abused and that's what was put down in front of me so that's the second thing i get to see after coming out of my coma i would probably do what this girl does yeah we shit myself <laughs> yeah i mean she goes into full-on seizures and is saying tra 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 <laughs> And Agent Cooper is like, are you trying to say train? Train? Yeah. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> Renette, saying, is it train? Train car? Like, as in where we know you came from? And, and she's, she's, actually, she's actually trying to say training. Right. Training required for, for artists to draw a better picture of Bob. Training day, I just saw, and it was good. Yeah, uh, King Kong ain't got shit on me. Yes. I'm the motherfucking... Police up in this bitch. <laughs> Love that fucking you... movie. Love that movie. <laughs> also huh. punch myself twice in the chest and kind of think like I've hurt myself. I'm gonna have a bruise in the morning. Whew. I ain't never done PCP. Um, <laughs> it's a really good movie. That's uh, such a fucking good movie. Uh, that director has not done much since. Uh, well, he did that Magnificent Seven movie that nobody cared about. <laughs> I saw it and I didn't care about it. 
<laughs> even as I was watching, I was just like, who who could possibly care? All this movie. He did looks... End of Watch, didn't he? I quite liked End of Watch. Uh, End of Watch is really good. Yeah. For yeah, sure. it's, it's a good movie. So he's got two good movies. Yeah, uh, he's a unlike, good director. Unlike me and you, Bo, we have so many good podcasts. I know. It's, we are more successful. It's unfair to compare us to Antoine Fuqua. Yeah, um, well, I think we should maybe let him go away and lie in the bed of, of millions of dollars that he's made for himself. Me! <laughs> I'm podcasting in a cupboard, Bo. It's, it's, <laughs> it's a beef we don't need. No, We've got so was. many beefs. <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> another one on the list. It really is like Happy Gilmore with Steve Buscemi's just got that list of names. Yeah. He's putting on lipstick. And, and mine just says, The Earth. Um, <laughs> <laughs> my bitter, bitter enemy, The Earth. <laughs> oh, God. Um, oh. So what's happening at the horns? Uh, speaking of cheese, Duncan... Um, <laughs> Brother Jerry is is chewing on some smoked cheese uh, while they sit before the fire and try to decide which of the ledgers, because now they have both ledgers. They have the, yeah. the honest ledger that shows that eventually um, the, uh, the sawmill will fall into decline, and then they have the fake ledger that shows that everything's hunky and or dory. Yes, both. Yes, and they're trying to decide which one to toss into the fire, and they're saying, like, look, well, there, there are kind of two schools of thought here. On the one hand, if we keep uh, the fake ledger, hey, that kind of looks good for us, um, you know, for the investment reasons and all that stuff. If we have, if we decide to keep the fake ledger, well, that actually presents a little bit of a problem because, hey, if people sniff around too much, we might get found out. But it does also back our case with all the life insurance and shit like that, which we also learned the life insurance is now off the table uh, because of the insurance conversation with uh, See You Next Tuesday, Catherine Martell, rest in peace. Um, or perhaps. Um, dun, dun, dun. And so they can't make up their mind. So I don't know about you, Duncan. Yes. When I come to uh, a bit of a quandary, a pickle, an impasse, mm -hmm. uh, I, I immediately leap to marshmallows, and yeah, but, that's what yeah. the horns do. They decide. Yeah, well, that, it's the natural progression of any question, any 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 question which is unanswerable in a moment of time can only be benefited by that. Yeah, the marsh, the marshmallow is the comma of life. It allows you to pause and consider. I just, I get the feeling that this episode was written by like a man who was out grocery shopping. He's just got a lot of different else's, like cream corn, smoked cheese, marshmallows. Yeah, and again, I'm hungry, Duncan, and now I, I just want to chew on some smoked cheese. Um, but when don't I? Now that I really stop and think about it, that's kind of a the funky baseline to which my life uh, drums on. Um, so let's go to the double R. Yes, where uh, Deputy Andy is having himself a bit of a tape conundrum. <laughs> yeah, when you have more tape on your face. And in your hair than you do on the A4 sheet of paper you're trying to stick to a window. You have you have issues, Bo. 
Oh boy, do you? Um, <laughs> and and you know, Andy certainly is. Uh, particularly with David Lynch at the helm, like the the uh, episode one of season two when he steps on the board, um, and like he just likes to play this guy as a big buffoon, and. Yeah. It, Lynch is literally sitting there going, ha, 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 I'm killing myself. Right. <laughs> I love tape jokes. Uh, <laughs> the most underutilized of all skit comedy. It's a hilarious office supply. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, just imagine like, the TV executive saying, how much money are we spending on tape? For what? It's, it's, it's for one scene. How long is the scene going to be? Thirty seconds. As lunch went mad. Yeah. We, oh no 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 no! You've you've still to hear about the marshmallow scene. <laughs> we've spent four hundred thousand dollars on on tape. Uh, Why is there so much cream corn in this episode? <laughs> it's <laughs> it's essential. <laughs> Give me the corn or I walk. Could you imagine being a producer on that show? Like and trying to keep costs down. And David Lynch is just like on a different planet. He's just like he's asking for, and I, I almost feel like it, it gets to the point where he wants to see how far he can push things to get away with it. Like you know, and I want tape. No, right? Tape can be done. And, and, and I want marshmallows, smoked cheese, right. cream corn. <laughs> it's like, okay, so I think he's. I think he may have lost it. What do you think? He's, he's an artist. He's a crazy artist. I also Remember, did the Elfin Man. I also need to commission a song. <laughs> but don't worry, we're well, not going to pay is, too much is, attention a, to it. He is a musician, so I would not have put it past him. He has an album. I would not have put. I would not put it past him that to think that maybe David Lynch. And if you listen to his album, it kind of sounds like this song that maybe David Lynch wrote this song. So, I would Michael not be did not write this fucking song. That's all I'm saying. No, and well, and he also wrote the lyrics to the uh, Julie Cruz uh, song theme song, the the love theme of Twin Peaks. Um, all right, all right let's, so let's stick to the diner here. Uh, so the log lady uh, enters um, and has a seat beside the major. Yeah, uh, the major log Bruce. lady, Avec Log, uh, sits down beside. Major Briggs. A Veclog is the name of my band. Veclog. Um, <laughs> a Veclog. Um, and, <laughs> and so she says, uh, once again, I love the character of the Major because of how matter of fact he has, he has that uh, kind of Drax the Destroyer quality from Guardians of the Galaxy, which we mentioned earlier, uh, that like he doesn't he he doesn't see any of this as ridiculous mm -hmm. so when she sits down and says you know my log has a message for you um can you hear it and and the major is rightfully saying i uh, know i i can't hear your log and she says well i'll translate the the log says uh you should deliver the message and she says, does that mean anything to you? And he's like, yes, well, actually it does. Uh, tell your log thank you. And I bid you a good day. That's um, a really good nature break, <laughs> it's, it's a work in progress. So, 
but yeah, so uh, the log apparently has inspired the major to handle his business. And we don't know what that business is just yet because we have to go to the uh, Twin Peaks Sheriff's Office. Yep, to continue Andy's humiliation. Yeah, because what we learn here, like we we found out that, uh, surprise, surprise, Lucy is pregnant. Yes. But the problem is that Deputy Andy is uh, is sterile. Ha, I'm sterile. I'm barren. That's what it is. (laughs) Deputy Andy is barren. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, ironically, um, two episodes ago, uh, Deputy Andy was not shooting blanks, but it turns out he is every other time. Um, <laughs> oh, well done. <laughs> into it. Yeah, so um, so obviously he, he has a, a go at Lucy, and Lucy takes the ostrich approach to answering questions in that she just doesn't answer just kind of ducks back closes the the shutter um and uh yeah didn't really answer his question at all which i thought was rather rude though i yes but we'll get to that plot line that nobody cares about later yeah with a character who yeah of course yeah there uh, we have a couple of character introductions uh in in these episodes one of whom is actually kind of a fun character uh i think and then one of them is Lucy's boyfriend. Yes. Um, but first we have to go to uh, into the office where Hank, Norma's uh, deadbeat ex-con husband, and, uh, is waiting for them because it's parole day. He has to show up yes. and, and say, you know, I have not been committing crimes. <laughs> uh, I'm glad that we managed to phase that voice out. Yes. Uh, let's, we're trying to keep it professional around here, Duncan. (laughs) I don't think that's what he said. He said something about clean, firm, and (laughs) We'll get to it. Don't worry. (laughs) Um. The listeners are waiting with bated breath. I know, I know. And, uh, so he, he signs off and, you know, I definitely have not been shooting people. And (laughs) signs his name in a real asshole-y kind of way. And uh, then he off off he fucks, and yeah. Agent Cooper because he's a super sleuth as we have uh, noted. He literally walks into a room, puts his finger in his mouth, licks his finger, takes it out, tests the air temperature, and then says, "Well, you two used to be friends, didn't you?" Because <laughs> that's what he does. Yeah, and uh, he's like, "Yeah, we you know we were friends, and then you know he was actually a really good guy when we were growing up, and." You know, got got fell into uh, some bad business with with some some bad seeds. Yeah, he used to be a bookhouse boy, bro. Yeah, in the day. yeah, one of the best. And one, yeah, he was the best of us. Um, so uh, we get a phone call that interrupts this conversation uh, because Ben Horn is is calling um, to say, "Hey, Audrey's missing." And Agent Cooper is like, the fuck? My yeah. Audrey? And he seems upset about it for about four seconds and then forgets all about it again. <laughs> He's like, there's a plot here that we need to go on. You know what I mean? In the grand scheme of things, Audrey, as saucy as she is, um, does not fit into the weirdness of this show. Maybe we will, re- we will revisit it later on in a telephone call. Right. Um, yeah, it's, it really is kind of a bummer that there isn't more 
Agent Cooper and Audrey, but you know, hey, the night is young. Um, so, uh, we know that Audrey's now missing or the sheriff's department, uh, knows that now. And, um, then back at the horns, uh, horns office, the Audrey horns office, uh, sans Audrey. Audrey horns orifice. What? Yes. So Leland Palmer shows up, white haired and and yeah. ready to do some business. White haired and crazy eyed. Yeah, uh, Ray Wise is so good. Oh, he's fucking amazing in this. He's like this is easily one of my favorite characters um, in Twin Peaks and in season two. I think he's I think he plays an absolute blinder. So. Yeah. And fire walk with me, which I dare say we will eventually get to. Yes, uh, you you may dare. We will get to that. Um, but uh, so Leland is there to say like, hey, we ought to uh, call the uh, the Nords and let them know about like the fire and tell them everything's still cool. And Benjamin Horn is like, look, I'm on top of this. And then during that conversation, finds out that Leland called them anyway, and they're kind of panicked. Yeah. But when when Leland said maybe we should, what he meant to say was I have already. Yeah, he's doing that thing where you ask forgiveness, not permission. Yeah, um, but what, his, his eyes are kind of his eyes are all scattery and looking around the room. While Ben and Jerry are furious, furious. Ben and Jerry, Ben and Jerry's. Yep. Yep. Literally just made sense to me. Yep. That literally just made sense to me. David Lynch, you are a fucking genius, like an <laughs> absolute genius. Yeah, the two brothers obsessed with food, Ben and Jerry. Yeah, yeah. Oh, for fuck's sake. I want to hug David Lynch so bad right now if I didn't think that it would be the coldest hug known to man. It would be clinical, and then afterwards he would write a poem about it. Yeah, it would be literally the, the, the precise comfort level of, of social comfort. So it would be exactly three and a half seconds long. Yes, yes. It, it, any more than that, and it gets a bit uncomfortable. Um, he would definitely have made a study. <laughs> so yeah, so um, we have Leland kind of <clears throat> walking about the room, and he looks down and he sees one of the Bob Flyers, and it suddenly comes to him that he knows this guy. He he has seen this guy before, um, and he kind of was like, yeah, "I know who this guy is. He lived next door to my grandfather at the summer place that we had up at Pearl Lake when I was a little boy." Um, and then he, he says, I need to go and speak to the sheriff. And away he goes, like, um, minus the, the, the Batman thing from the original TV show. You know, <laughs> right. to the sheriff. Um, and it's just like, it's just like, it's just that boy with the cream corn going, spinning around. Um, it's just the cream corn hands spinning around. Um, I don't know where I'm going with this. Stop me, stop me. <laughs> so he runs out. And then we get a rather, should we say it's an overreaction from Ben? To Jerry, uh, on what is like a slight faux pas of uh, of, of what Leland has done, because he says to Jerry, "Go and do me a favor and kill him." Yeah, and you're like, "Right, you made a small mistake. Made a small mistake. Maybe death is a bit harsh." Well, is it? Um, <laughs> I mean, I I've become uh, far less tolerant of uh, bad behavior in my old age. <laughs> and I get it. I get it. Um, you, you get it, but we love Leland Palmer. 
And also, he did induce uh, a worm out of Jerry with his song in the last episode. So it's kind of tough. Uh, you know, but once you've heard that beautiful singing voice, it's very difficult to pull the trigger. Uh, it's amazing how many times that song has been covered, by the way. When I was pulling the music for the last episode, I realized that there's like five or six versions of that song rolling around. I almost went with the Mickey Mouse one, but you know. Um, right, right, back to the dock. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Dr. Hayward is hanging out with Leo Johnson, who's a fucking vegetable in a iron lung thing. And yep. he's, and he basically, so uh, Shelly Johnson is there playing the, um, you know, the housewife who's concerned about her husband. And uh, he's like, look, he's alive, but the bullet kind of lodged in his spine. We don't know if he's going to be paralyzed or not. You know, basically, Leo got real fucked up. And yeah. sorry about that. But he's not in pain. He is also in a coma. And... <laughs> Leo! <laughs> I'm in a coma, too! Uh, Leo's like, fuck, I've lost too much blood. I can't get out of this coma. But, but... We can be coma buddies, Leo! Coma buddies! <laughs> I had, oh, just the worst joke just occurred to me, and here it comes. Uh, I have this. <laughs> Shit. I have the miniseries Coma with us. We'll watch Coma in a coma. <laughs> and then we'll play Tic Tac Toe. Tic Tac Coma. She seems like the sort of person that would enjoy playing tic-tac-toe. I don't know why. I don't know why. There's plenty of cream corn and marshmallows! <laughs> and so Leo, appropriately, at the end of this scene, kind of pops his eyes open like, fuck this, I gotta get yeah. out of this coma. <laughs> he like, like wrestles with the iron lung, can't get off, so he actually walks out still wearing the iron lung like a giant fucking tube in his body. Ah! <laughs> Running <Right>. out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I gotta get out of here. There's a crazy lady in my coma. <laughs> She's like, Leo! From now on, I'm gonna call you it! <laughs> You're it, Leo! Ed Leo, Ed Leo, wherefore art thou? <laughs> In a coma! <laughs> Best character of it. Like, Nadine's coma ghost is the greatest character. <laughs> Just flitting from coma to coma, driving people insane. Uh, oh, poor Nadine. Oh, and we got more of her coming. Um, so, uh, we got a really small kind of scene that doesn't really necessarily go that far at the moment, but back at the station, Lucy gets a call, someone wants to speak to the sheriff, but they won't give their name, and apparently, <laughs> Lucy's rules are no name, no transfer, um, and this person doesn't do it, so she instead apologizes and hangs up on them. Yeah, well, in fairness, like, if, if she just starts to transfer the call, which she is very methodical about, mm -hmm. and the sheriff says, hey, who's on the line? And she says, well, I don't know. They wouldn't give me a name. You know, that's that ain't the Lucy code. No. 
Um, Lucy's way are the highway. Is that what you're saying? Oh yeah, it is. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Why did Nadine? Not be I don't, don't know. She's everywhere because she's in a coma. Nadine on the Lucy Highway. Yeah. The, Which is another the, <laughs> the Lucy Highway is another highway? name for another name for purgatory. <laughs> Space between two worlds. Uh, yes. Uh, Lucy Highway. Oh, that and that's where David Lynch got the idea for Lost Highway. That's exactly where they got the idea for Lost Highway. Because <laughs> it does sound like Lucy's Highway. I get the feeling that he wrote Lucy's Highway, and he's like, nah, nah, not strange. No, I am, instead I'm going to turn this into a thinly veiled discussion of the OJ trial. Um, yeah. <laughs> I get the, like, he's like Lucy Highway. What else begins with? Uh, I've lost the name of the movie. I've lost the name of it. We lost highway. Yep, lost highway. Um, That's so that. That may or may not be how he chose the name for that movie. I'll, I'll tell you what David Lynch is super good at, and that's um, putting my fantasies on screen. <laughs> Someone, are we going to one eye jacks here, Bo? We are. Uh, and let me tell you, the service that. Uh, is being paid for here costs a pretty penny. I can tell you that much from personal experience. Yeah, I'd, I'll be honest with you though. The the times I frequented uh, a house of ill repute, I've never went in wanting someone to hoover around me. I'm quite a clean person, but apparently, apparently someone uh, someone in here likes the sound of a hoover. Well, it's a very specific fantasy where you want your arms bound. Yep. Your toenails painted with toenail polish. Yep. Somebody vacuuming. Yep. And you blindfolded. And a bucket of ice. And a bucket of ice. <laughs> and Audrey Horn uh intercepts the bucket of ice and is like, Hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna take care of some business. And so the guy in question is is the guy from the department store, the manager of the department store. Yeah, Bathus. And Audrey what I love about that, that, that list of things you read off and, and Twin Peaks is a weird collection of things in a house of ill repute. And an episode of the A-Team, it's a tank. <laughs> yeah, it it truly is. Especially the nail polish. Definitely. Um, I pay the fool that wears hot pink. I ain't forgetting no plain Hannibal. <laughs> <laughs> that was surprisingly good. I didn't... Thank you. If, if you had uh, had pushed me on whether or not you did a good Mr. T, I probably would have said no. <laughs> I could do a Mr. T! I ain't getting no plane, Hannibal! I pity the fool, too! Pity the fool! Oh, maybe. Walks on so many levels. It, every level. Um, it's arousing. It's funny. It's insightful. Insightful. It's honestly the same can be said of this podcast. Yeah, I, I think so. I like to think that people walk away from this just a little bit smarter, a little reality, smarter, <laughs> emotionally erect. Oh, nice! I like that. So, um, Audrey, or wet if you're a woman, emotionally wet. Oh. Uh, the clitor is swollen and engorged. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, like when you make the sex. Uh, 
you know how it is, Duncan. I don't have to tell you. You're a man of the world. Yeah, yeah. Rumor has it I've done it once. Um, <laughs> At least. We have evidence of once. Um, But so basically we get the information in this scene that we've had for a while now as viewers, which is, oh yeah, the the perfume counter was where he recruited Laura and Renette to come work at One-Eyed Jack's, but uh, they had to kick Laura out because she was on the dope or the the skag. (laughs) Yayo. The ganj, the clean burning propane. Yay! <laughs> and I like to think everyone's doing that along with me. Yay! Uh, <laughs> appropriating someone else's joke for our own uses. Yay! Uh, <laughs> uh, it's really. Awesome. We also find out here. Well, this is the this scene is interesting in that it is a very strange way of giving the audience answers they already have you know what i mean like, yeah. so let's put like this really weird david lynch scene where we're in like a room which is you know oddly red um like very oddly red with very garish wallpaper and um let's let's reveal that one there were being this baddest guy has been recruiting from the perfect counter which we knew and the second bit of information that we get which we already knew is Ben Horn's the guy that owns One Eye Jacks, so I I, I kind of feel like this is like one of these strange lunch is aware that he needs to try and from from an investigatory point of view he needs to tie up things logically for the characters, but he can't just give us that information like a normal person. He has to make the scene weird. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, but then again, you know, Audrey is, uh, like, all this is all the pieces coming together where Audrey is getting information that she can now take back to Agent Cooper, theoretically, uh, you know, and reveal some dark secrets about One-Eyed Jacks, and, you know, it, it sort of pays off uh, their conversation in the office when she was trying to get hired and all that stuff. Like, it's really, like, a well-done scene, but yeah, there's also eyes and toenails and bondage. Um, yeah. and, and a vacuum cleaner. The vacuum cleaner is the weirdest part of it, for sure. Yeah, well, the vacuum cleaner, and it has been done by someone that that looks like like a really weird version of Sally from Toy Story 2. Oh, that is weird. Now now I'm turned on. It's just very strange. And that person is Adam, and they're going to do the Hoover. Um, and she's like, no, GTFO. Um but yeah, it's a, it's a strange, it's a very, very strange scene. Um, and yeah, so we now have, or Audrey has answers to questions that she had, and she now knows that not only is her dad, you know, in charge of the department store where the girls are being recruited, but he also owns the, you know, the, the place that they're going to work. Um, and she also knows that he likes to sample the, the new girls as well so if you're audrey you're now thinking maybe dad's not the person i thought it was and i already thought it was a bit weird yeah uh and you know the big like she always knew that he was shady but now she knows he's he's fully into some illegal shit now she knows he's he's slim shady and he should stand up <laughs> the real slim shady should yes, in fact stand up should. Uh, 
Then uh, we go to a storyline that I don't give a shit about. Yeah. Um, <laughs> just going to put it which out is a there. Freeze, which is a freeze, ladies and gentlemen, you will hear more and more of as these episodes go on. Um, but this is the catalyst. This is the point right here. This is the first time we're going to see it. Um, just expect that a lot more. Yeah, because we're we're going into uh, a car parked out in the middle of nowhere so that Bobby Briggs and Shelly Johnson can do some making out. Yeah. And, uh, and it's really just a, a placeholder until we get to the song. But uh, more importantly, it is the, the hatching of the scheme to uh, bring Leo Johnson, vegetable Leo Johnson, home so they can uh, suckle off the teat of Uncle Sucker because yeah, they're going to get a cash coup. Yeah, they're right. They're going to get a government check of like five grand a month, or Shelly is for taking care of her, of her, you know, paralyzed vegetative husband. Yeah. And Bobby's like, well, you can just stick him in a corner and hang donuts from his ears, which is a weird expression, and not yeah. not one that's used commonly in the United States. Unlike you know your, your perhaps your mistaken perception. Um, That's exactly how I think Americans talk. <laughs> we put some donuts on his ears. Is yep, how we exactly, say exactly, exactly like that. Exactly like that. I thought that was something that was you know like a, a good old fashioned phrase that was solidly rooted in the vernacular of of America. It comes from uh, the the Southwest originally uh in, during the spanish american war um it's also where we got i go nuts for donuts same time same time um all right so fuck them because who yeah. cares uh then we go to the major and who has uh shown up at agent cooper uh, his his motel room, and by the way, Agent Cooper's uh, bed clothes, his uh, pajamas. I think they're called bed clothes. If I were <laughs> Charles Dickens, I thought this was another America. I was I was going to say, you know, like, right, I understand garbage truck to an extent, right? It, like bed clothes, Bo, really. Bed clothes are worn by people who also pay to have their chimney swept. Like bed clothes are basically a, a full set of pajamas with a waistcoat and a tie. Yeah, like chim chimney, chim chimney. Um, <laughs> well, hello there, Mary Poppins. Yeah, hello there. I'm just in me bed clothes. Um, yeah. I'm a, a chimney sweep from London, Mary Poppins. I'm not an American at all. Watch me dance with these penguins, then. Um, <laughs> and and that is, of course, Song of the South. Um, yeah. <laughs> Band movie, song of the set. Yes. Uh, yeah, it's hard to get your hands on a copy of that unless you're in Georgia. Um, <laughs> on. Yes. So uh, the major shows up and is like, uh, Agent Cooper, I have some weird shit to show you. And <laughs> uh, it turns out that the message that he has been told by the log to deliver which is a sentence I love to say. That's one I never thought here. Yeah. The log says, Major, you got to go deliver the message to Agent Cooper. And that message is that his work is intercepting radio signals from outer space uh, in an attempt to find intelligent life. And mostly they get a bunch of gibberish, unsurprisingly. Of course. But 
around the time that Agent Cooper was shot, a very distinct message appears in the the computer printout of uh, of the radio signals interception. Now, and, when you say very distinct message, how would how would that look? Um. All right. So a bunch of bullshit in rows, and then the words "the owls are not what they seem" all in English like that. Yes. And then a bunch of bullshit after it. Yeah. And the major has to point to it, and is like, "Cooper, <laughs> this seems strange." And so his name shows up as well. Yeah. And Agent Cooper is like, you know, I always thought it'd be something like this. Um, it does. He, he is surprised, as is the audience, because it's really the first time we can hear the rickety rails of this show, where it's like, <laughs> oh, it's like, oh, okay, we're still on the rails, but whoo, whoo, that seemed a little dangerous. We took that turn a little fast. Yeah, it's like that scene. It's basically that scene in Temple of Doom, uh, where they're <laughs> going down on the cart, and yeah. they, they, at one point they have to hold it, and it goes in two wheels right round that yep. giant bend, and then almost into a pit of lava. <laughs> yes, it. But but somehow Indy and the gang survive. Yeah, short round manages to get it back on track. As, as does this episode, mostly except <laughs> except for the does it does it really? Because <laughs> the next scene would beg to differ. <laughs> I disagree. I think this is. One of the finest scenes in Twin Peaks history. You're a, you're a fucking smoking yayo. There's no, there's no way. So this this next scene is just a, a this is I love David Lynch. David Lynch is legitimately one of my favorite filmmakers. Every now and again, David Lynch does something like Inland Empire, um, which leaves me perplexed as to what the great man is actually doing is he just trying to be weird or is there some purpose behind the weird this is one of these scenes which just makes me think he's just trying to be weird for weird's sake uh, yes i mean i i agree with you but it's james singing a 50s kind of doo-wop song yep uh, well i've just done a bit of investigation while we were talking it turns out that this 50s doo-wop song was actually composed by wait for it Angelo Bad- Badlametti, yeah. David Lynch, and James Marshall. Oh, that makes so much sense. The unholy triumphant. You're a handful of The Son and the Holy Ghost. I'll let you pick who's who. Um, <laughs> that makes sense to me because there's only about eight words in the song. <laughs> All contributed by James and they are, you're not Laura. Right. It's... <laughs> Just you, who is the Laura, and <laughs> I, who is the Laura either. Together, like me and Laura were. Forever, like me and Laura were. It's it's, it's like let's 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 take a couple of seconds here and, and set the scene. So they're in um, Donna's house, uh-huh. in the in the living room or living area, and he is sitting down with giant guitar. Uh, and a kind of old-fashioned radio mic. A straight-up Buddy Holly microphone, yes. Yep. And sitting opposite him is the the combo of Maddie and Donna, who also have a microphone in front of them, and we join them as they have just finished rehearsing the song. And would you know it, lo and behold, this scene... 
it starts with them saying, well, that was a great run through. Maybe we should play it again. And, and I, having seen this scene before many, many years ago, was like, no, let's not play it again. Let's get to the best bit of this episode, which comes up right after this. And, 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 and Twin Peaks is like, no, Duncan. No, no, no. Bo loves this scene. So let's watch it again. I, I make no apology, sir. <laughs> this scene makes me so happy. Uh, oh. because, it, because it's incredibly <laughs> dumb. It's out of place. I, I do find it hilarious that, like I said, the song is comprised of about four and a half words. So it's easy yeah. for James to remember. Yeah. And, and it's James him. has the, the voice of an angel. Yeah, well, there's no question in my mind that James Marshall's voice is heard nowhere in this scene. <laughs> um, but he's given the smoky eyes to Maddie as he's singing, you know? And, yeah, right in front of Donna, which is not killed. Cool, right, and Donna's like, what the fuck, James? And, and the song is called Just You and I. Right. Which, I'm just going to say, Just You and I denotes two people, not the not the third wheel. It was... A.K.A. Donna. <laughs> right. Yeah, Donna can kind of fuck right off in this scene, because... Um, You've got... You need to have commitment if you're, you're trying to get rid of your friend who's essentially being the third wheel, you know, like, that is essentially cop blocking you. If you have to write an entire song in their presence to get them to sing on it and then re-sing it to get them out the fucking room, that is a lot of work. Yeah. Well, all right, so, like... James is making the fuck eyes at Maddie because he's like, you look like Laura. And she's like, I, I know I do. <laughs> and also you should just finish singing this stupid song. So we can all get on with our lives. And he's like, you look like Laura so much. And she, she's like, look, this is kind of not cool. Cause Donna's right here. It's like, but she, don't look like Laura. And, <laughs> and she's, like, look, you're... she's the better version of that song, man. <laughs> Give me that song three times in this episode. It, yeah, well, it's got more words, that's for sure. Uh, yeah. And so finally Donna is like, James, shit. And j like gets up and, and walks away. And James is like, you think she noticed that I was looking at you? <laughs> Because you look like Laura, but she doesn't look like Laura, so I look at you. And and she it like Maddie is like yes. You're, you're kind of starting to, like your your James was starting to tread in it walking territory. There it was pretty amazing. <laughs> it was where was I going? What like territory? Starting to go to Christopher Walken territory. Oh jeez. Right towards the end. Uh, Christopher Walken as James Hurley. Oh, oh. my god. You don't look like Laura at all, and the ice is gonna break. <laughs> oh, I love it when you do that um, at my funeral, Duncan. Because let's face it, I'm going before you. I would like oh, it. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. What are you doing next week? Um, the <laughs> I will. I will fly. I will fly to the states, and I will in front of a, a captive audience of people that do not know me. I will do that scene for you. I don't even, not even the whole scene. I just want you to get up, like, no introduction, <laughs> lay down that line, and then walk away. I will do that for you. 
that would be i would appreciate that if i could i'll be fucking dead who cares yeah <laughs> tell me tell me you're gonna do it and then don't it's fine i don't know um <laughs> just totally gonna make all kinds of promises about what you're gonna do when i'm dead uh, not only will i do that i will scatter your ashes to the four corners of the earth i will travel to antarctica yeah just whatever you want to sell me I'm yeah fine. that's exactly that is exactly what's going to happen it will not be reminiscent of the, the fate of donnie and um, the big Lebowski. oh donnie oh man um yeah so anyway, anyway, anyway. right right so yeah, so a- <laughs> donna Runs off into the like the cul-de-sac. Uh, no, what is that called? The copes? <laughs> Not a cul-de-sac. That's a, a whole neighborhood thing. Like she runs into the little, like the alcove is what I was thinking of. Like where the phone is and stuff. And James the runs... hall is what we call it. Uh, whatever. You guys have a different word for everything. Uh, <laughs> what, do you call it? what do you call the hall? The hallway. See, when you open... see, see when you... the hallway. Let's add way. <laughs> Fucking Americans, honestly. It can't just be a hall. It has to be a hallway. Yeah. Because Otherwise, you people way... might not know that you could. It's like it's like it's like over here. It's a road, and your country it's a highway. I think we just like the word "way" to mean that you can move on it. Right, because you make your way. It's it, it's part of the American dream, Duncan, you make to, your to make your way. way in this world. Um. <laughs> Boy, that, yeah, that's so anyway, she's out there and her dad shouts down and it turns out someone has phoned for her. It is... Mr. Smith. Yeah, Agent Smith. Agent Hello, Smith. Mr. Anderson. Hello, Donna. <laughs> like that, eh? <laughs> you even help your landlady take out her garbage. <laughs> <laughs> Did you see the kid with the cream corn? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, hello, Mr. Weirdo. Anderson. We've been waiting <laughs> um, just the whole city see if he was Agent Smith that'd be the greatest thing and me and me and me and more of me and me and him and me it, well it it couldn't be any weirder than the real Mr. Smith Mr. Uh, Smith is yeah Mr. Smith is is a delight it, yes and all right, welcome well, Ray of Sunshine in this show we will, we will get to that because first James has to run after Donna to be like you didn't see nothing, did you? And yeah. she, she's like, I totally saw it. And now kiss me because I'm starting to think that maybe you want to fuck the girl who looks like our dead friend. <laughs> and he's like, okay, okay. Meanwhile, the best scene. Yes. Like, one of the greatest scenes ever. Because, quite frankly, it is fucking terrifying. Like, it is, this is, this is like, this is the, this is the payoff. This is the ejaculation to this episode, right? We've been edging ourselves for a good 40 minutes here, and it's time to bust a nut, right? And essentially, the bust a nut bit is, like, the bust a nut was, uh, it's like, bust a bust, the bust a bust. It's a good Tesla episode. album, too. Yeah. <laughs> it's, is that Maddie is sitting and she looks up through the living room towards the dining room, which is all open plan. Um, and she looks up and oh, did, did, I, I still get chills watching this scene just because it's just so it's so unnerving. Walking, not facing her, but walking into frame methodically comes Bob, and Bob walks and stops, and then like Robocop, his entire body turns around. To face her. And then Bob starts walking. But you think to yourself, well, Bob's walking towards her, but there's a couch. There's a couch blocking the way and a table. And we're now kind of in... We're looking through the eyes of Maddie. We're, we're first person through Maddie's eyes. And Bob walks meticulously with that 
fucking weird smile on his face, uh, which is like crossed between a smile and a grimace, walks towards the couch, climbs over the top of the couch, and then continues walking, and then climbs on top of the table and pulls himself towards the camera, which is Maddie's eyes, and Maddie, like everyone watching this scene, lets out an ear-piercing scream, and, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, and that's we, when that's when they come in. Yeah, and we all, we also get some flashes here of uh, like Laura's mother from the first episode running down the yep. stairs. Yep. We see an owl superimposed over Bob's face at one point. Yeah, those are not what they seem. Bob. They are not. They are not. They are Bob's. They are not what they seem. Just in case we d- we hadn't already got that message from outer space. Um, <laughs> they're not what they seem. Yeah, so Space and Bob are conspiring together. Uh, and, all right, so the very last little, uh, the the little peck on the cheek of this episode is that um, Audrey Horn is on the horn to Agent Cooper. <laughs> I'll play it soft, I'll play it soft. Thank you. Um, and she's like, why aren't you here? And he's like, where are you? I will come right away. Uh, just tell me where you are. He, actually, he's being cooler about it, but I'm putting myself in that situation where I'm like, just tell me where you are. I will, <laughs> I will be there by the time you finish the last syllable. Um, and before she can spill the beans on where she is or the cream corn, um, <laughs> Ed, it's a cream corn joke. Um, <laughs> I'm still in a Kuwait. Um, so anyway, off she fucks, uh, or, or, that's not right at all. The off, off the scene fucks because Blackie shows up to hang up the phone and is like, Audrey's sister, you are in trouble. There endeth, uh, the, the episode two of season two. Yeah. On, on the cliffhanger of, hey, Audrey, uh, is about to get fucked up. Yeah, yeah. She 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 has been sussed out. Um, and one thing we will learn is that you do not fuck with Blackie. No. You do not fuck with Blackie. What I'm going to say is, saving grace to this episode is the Bob scene, obviously. Um, is the is seeing a bit of Audrey Horn in the episode. The weird magic trick. But I will say... Big negative in this episode, huge negative in this episode is no Agent Hawk. There is There's no Hawk story. No, there is zero Hawk. We do get some in the next episode, fortunately. Yeah, well, but, thank fuck. Yeah, I was about tuning off. I was about to call an end to this podcast. I was like, I'm not going through episodes without my Hawk. Well, especially because you're like, I, I spent 15 minutes in the car with Shelly and Bobby, and who could care about that? Yeah, and, 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 a, scene, and a scene which says, feed in from giving a fuck. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> there, he should have just been in the backseat of that car hanging out, like just wordlessly yeah. observing their conversation. And then at the end of it, he could just be like, well, time for Agent Hawk to leap into action and then you know off he goes to do something awesome but it would just be a nice reminder of like oh yeah hawk's probably off in the woods killing owls or some shit yeah that's uh, what hawks do. oh they do indeed Caw. Uh, 
All right. So let's jump into this. Episode three of season two is called The Man Behind Glass, um, which, of course, is a reference to famed composer Philip Glass. Um, So Renette Pulaski is having a good old-fashioned freakout in the hospital thanks to her seeing Bob again in a vision. And... And, I'll do it to you. Yeah, well, yeah, of course. Um, and it looks like somebody has been tampering with her IV. Um, that, like, somebody is out to get Renette Pulaski, up to and including jamming one of them uh, letters that you find under dead bodies, uh, fingernails, um, like you did with Laura. Um another another letter is found under her nail and this time it's a b a b a b <laughs> i don't know what we're doing um b um so uh sheriff truman is like hey somebody might have staged this or whatever and uh and agent cooper's like they couldn't because we never released this information to the public and then he says, uh, look, I, he finally confesses that he was visited twice by a giant. And then he, you know, reveals the three clues and ultimately says like, Hey, th- this giant is going to be, uh, a big help to us. You know, like we, we've got the owls are not what they seem. The, uh, the, what was the last one? A man who points without chemicals. Yeah. And, Sheriff Truman is a little skeptical, as you might imagine. And Miguel Ferrer has my favorite line of the episode, uh, where he says, you think he was any relation to the dwarf? Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty great. Pretty great, Miguel Ferrer. So, now it's time for Donna to go about her, uh, her Meals on Wheels business and revisit uh, the home of Mr. Smith. Uh, who is played by Electric Dreams himself, Lenny Von Dolan. Um, and for those of you who have never seen the movie Electric Dreams, I highly recommend it as a movie that you should only watch once. <laughs> it's about a man who buys an operating So It's basically, now that I think about it, it's basically uh, the movie Her, but in oh, yeah. 1983. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but basically a guy's Macintosh falls in love with him and then tries to kill him. Um, and I think Virginia Manson is in that, if I'm not mistaken. I think she's the... Do you like a bit of Virginia Manson? Who doesn't? She's a, a, a lovely, lovely lady and a very talented actress. And she was also in Dune. Um, yeah. As well as Electric Dreams, I think. I could have that totally wrong. I gotta look this up real quick. Alright, so talk about <laughs> Mr. Smith while I'm confirming my Virginia Manson uh, problem. Yeah, so so Mr. Smith is an interesting character. He claims that he had um, a bit of a a more personal relationship with um, with Laura. They shared quite a lot, um, and in a less than creepy way, um, stroke kind of creepy. Uh, he he has a house which has a lot of plants because turns out he's a bit of a botanist. Um, and he likes creating weird plant hybrids. It's one of these guys that does like special kind of special hybrid orchids uh, and stuff. So yeah, so um, we we have this um, 
basically have a uh, their conversations where he is, uh, for lack of a better word, hitting on her. But he seems to know, like, she's a bit sceptical at first, but he knows specific details about Donna, even down to the nickname that that Laura used for her, that you would imagine only, you know, Laura and Donna would know, and not creepy, fucking, strange plant man. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, you would you would think that, you would think that. So, um, so anyway, yeah. So they they have this conversation, and we we get this we get this feeling that, well, it's it's set up in such a way where we're led to believe that once again this is another life that Laura touched because everyone that came in contact with Laura, kind of fell in love with her. She's a magnetic personality, um, and that's kind of what we think here is this is another one of these people that just was in Laura's life that we knew nothing about at all. Nothing about. You didn't know anything about him, did you? No, not not a thing. All I knew was that he was in Electric Dreams. Yeah. Uh, confirmed. Virginia Madsen is in fact. Yeah. Uh, I, I thought like you seemed quite confident when you said it, so I I would have put money on it. So. I yeah, I watched that movie way too much when I was a kid. Um, <laughs> it was on HBO in heavy rotation, and I kind of kind of fell into that trap. But uh, so Electric Dreams uh it says, hey, will you give uh, a flower? Or gives her a flower and says, "Hey, will you put this on Laura's grave?" Yeah. And because I don't leave the house because I'm, I'm, you know, a little crazy. In addition to being a, a horticulturalist, mm-hmm. um. So Donna's like, yeah, "Yeah, I'll do that." You seem like a nice guy, and totally not somebody I would leave James for. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's be honest. They can construct a whole sentence. The fact which that doesn't involve, which doesn't involve the words "you are not." <laughs> the the fact that he can use the word horticulturalist in a sentence yeah. like instantly her clitoris both got engorged like they do when they make the sex <laughs> that's exactly right she was like <laughs> hey i didn't know guys could use sentences yeah <laughs> we were second more than two syllables in that word <gasps> And and you don't seem to be a murderer, well, not yet. And yeah. <laughs> oh, spoilers! No, I'm not spoiling anything. He's not a murderer. He's Electric Dreams. Um, but yeah, she she's like, okay, I'll 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 go put this uh, this flower uh, on her grave, and then we go to uh, our brain trust at the uh, sheriff station where Albert. Uh, Agent Cooper and Sheriff Truman are going over the the evidence in the uh, in the case with Renette Pulaski's letter now uh, on the table. And Agent Cooper has one of his famous diagrams up on the uh, on the chalkboard, where yep. he's like, "Hey, here are the people uh, like Renette, Maddie, Mrs. Palmer, and Agent Cooper have all had this vision of Bob." <laughs> like... Go on. It may be because it's it's so late over here, but that was I just love it. Like Agent Cooper has one of his, his Agent Cooper diagrams where he refers to himself as Agent Cooper. Yeah, well, he has the name Cooper right there. I did, you know, no, no, it just it tickled me because it's the sort of thing that Agent Cooper would do. This guy here, 
They said that all these people have seen visions of Bob, including this man here, the Coop. Yeah, In- including this guy who who's got two thumbs and has seen Bob in this room. This guy. <laughs> this guy. Yeah, but basically, in classic Cooper fashion, he is trying to persuade um, not only Albert but um, Sheriff Truman of the legitimacy or, or importance, sorry, of this suspect who, as it stands just now, is an apparition to everyone. Or, yeah, an apparition or a dream. Yeah. Um, and and they've got the picture in the middle of uh, the circle of names. There was the, the sketch of Bob. And uh, also the letters RBT. They're trying to piece that together. Who could it possibly be? Like, what do these letters mean? Are they, are they symbolic of a name or, or what have you? Um, he says, uh, also there is no, there's no further evidence in who may have shot, uh, agent Cooper, uh, yep. other than he was shot with a Walther, uh, PPK, which is yep. the James Bond preferred weapon. Yes, indeed. And Sheriff Truman fucks up by asking Albert, Hey, is there anything we can do while you're off investigating these fibers you found in the hallway? Yeah, never good to set him up like that. No, I mean, it's it, like, give him the softball pitch. Yeah. And Albert says, yeah, uh, you can try you can try walking without dragging your knuckles in my <laughs> absence. But then we get like this, like, <laughs> we got a scene which, like, I, I love this because like, uh, Truman decides that he's going to intimidate Albert, and Albert just, like, rips the rug from under his feet, like, completely, like, kind of, Almost kills him with love, boy, which I think is fucking amazing. Yeah, well, Sheriff Truman grabs him and is like, "Hey, the you know the first time that I punched you, I felt kind of bad about it. The next time, I don't think I'm going to feel quite so bad." And uh, yeah, and then Albert says, "Like I, I walk in the footsteps of uh, like Martin Luther King and Gandhi. And if you yep. want to hit me, go ahead. But I believe in nothing but love, and I love you, Sheriff." Uh, in in that spirit of of loving one's fellow man, yeah. And Sheriff Truman is understandably stymied by this and kind of lets Albert <laughs> go, and looks yeah. at Agent Cooper. And Agent Cooper says, "It is a difficult path that man walks." <laughs> yep, it's, it's pretty great. <laughs> just like you just like that. I'm surprised anything happens in the FBI because <laughs> they're all a little bit weird, it, uh, especially when the leader of your team is none other than David Lynch. Right, uh, who is shortly to make an appearance on on this very show? Um, can't wait, can't wait. So we get a a brief, an all too brief glimpse of Hawk. Cuckoo! Who has who who is talking to James and and finally just gives up uh, because he's Hawk and he didn't have time to deal with that bullshit. <laughs> You're not Laura. I I know I'm not Laura. I'm. Ugh. How do you get laid? Um. But, uh. But we know that the cocaine, uh, Yayo, the gank, uh, the booger sugar, the clean burden propane was planted because that cocaine matches the same coke that they found at Leo Johnson's place. Yeah. So they know that, you know, James is way too dumb to be involved in any kind of criminal enterprise with any any level of sophistication. So, but, 
But at the same time, though, just to make sure that James gets the point that no one really... like. I love this because Agent Cooper really speaks the audience's mind here. He just basically says, we don't want to see you here again. And I'm like, yeah, or in any episode that happens after. Sorry, James. Yeah, they're just like, get the fuck out of here. Don't don't bother this show anymore for a little while, okay? Um, <laughs> we're all having a good time. We got cream corn kids. We got... We got. Yeah, we're still trying to get over that song that you wrote. Yeah, look, Hawk's back. Everybody's happy now. Get out of here, James. And just like right when it's like, okay, finally we're getting to some shit. Yeah, we get to some shit. Oh, the shit starts happening. Um, because in walks uh. A, a, a dude that Lucy had gone out with who is a bit of a dandy. I, that is a good word to use for him. Uh, he, he is a, a, a man of of culture and sophistication in his mind. <laughs> Alright, so the, the one <laughs> upside of this scene uh, is that and he's he's a men's clothing designer, and yeah. he's got um one one of them cigarette holders. Yeah, and, this seems a bit. This is the this is the best thing that happens with this guy in a scene. Right, and Hawk uh sees him. And like I don't think the cigarette is even lit. Doesn't no, matter. <laughs> it doesn't uh, matter to Hawk. Cacao! Yeah, Hawk is just like, hey, uh, smoking's prohibited in here grabs the cigarette and holder out of the dude's hand, breaks it in half, and just tosses it. Yeah, Not like... Down. Right. From from uh, his, his vantage point, high in the trees. <laughs> De- Deputy Hawk is like, wait a second. Is that someone with a cigarette in my police station? I don't think so. And, you know, caca! is swoops in, grabs the cigarette from, you know, like with a precision, like grip of his talon. Yeah. He's not really a hawk. I don't know why we're going this route. I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's amazing. Keep going with it. Uh, and then, uh, then he turns into a bear. Cause it's the wheel of time. Um, yeah, it, like, you know, like he snaps it and out of nowhere in the background, Jim Ross from, from the WWE goes, I can get a money and broke him in half. <laughs> Uh, that's fantastic. So, all right. To to save us from, you know, oh, this boring stuff happening with, uh, what's his name? Like Richard Tremaine or something. Yeah. Uh, and Lucy. Leland Palmer comes in and is like... Yeah, it's taken Leland Palmer an entire episode to walk to the police station. Well, you know, he, he, he probably... left. He left like twenty minutes into the previous episode, which it... was a day ago. <laughs> right, but he was also he had to stop for a couple of songs. Uh, he passed out <laughs> a few times because he was so happy. I'm sure, only to wake back up and and start singing again. <laughs> and he he probably t- called the Norwegians again. You know, just to smooth things over. Right, just to check in on him. Like, hey. Do you guys have any white hair? I woke up with some. It was weird. Um, and 
then uh, Leland, in an effort to be as creepy as possible, um, is like, "Hey, there were I saw this guy. He it, when I used to summer at uh, like you know their summer home near the lake or whatever. A couple of houses over uh, were the, the Robertsons, which explains the RBT according to Agent Cooper. Yep. And he had seen Bob there." And Bob would light matches and toss them at him. Yeah, which, like, at first when he says that doesn't really mean anything to me until he actually uh, himself lights a match and then flicks it. Uh, and it lands in, like, this ashtray, which, not entirely sure why there's an ashtray in a police station you're not allowed to smoke in. But there's an ashtray there, which is full as well, which is kind of amusing. Um, and, like, at that point, Cooper looks at Truman and says, that's okay. Yeah, and and what the what Bob would say to him when he was a kid is, "You want to play with fire, little boy," yeah. and yeah. toss lip matches at him, which is also what I do with kids. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's this aim um, is the once again it's this link back to fire, fire walk with Nebo, fire walk with me. Yeah, play with fire, fire walk with me. You know what really sets me on F I R E. Um. So spelling apparently. Um, <laughs> we got to go the double R for a second and, and Ugh. sorry listeners, but all right. So Lucy and this Tremaine character, uh, she tells him like, Hey, I, you know, she basically spills the story that the, she had gotten drunk. They ended up doing, doing the sex. And now Lucy is, uh, you know, unfortunately or perhaps not, um, is pregnant. Yes. So fortunately in the same scene is uh Maddie and James who are hanging out on the same side of the table, not like a couple at all. No, no, yeah, like not speaking to each other in a way which could be construed as intimate. Um and then not through that conversation about to hold hands when Donna walks through the door. I mean that would never happen. Oh, that seems that seems ridiculous. Well, and he's doing the classic bad move of complaining to your would-be girlfriend yeah. about your current girlfriend. Yeah. Where he's Who like... He knows for a fact thinks there's something going on because she fucking told him in the previous episode. Right. And so he's complaining about the fact, like, she showed up to, uh, to jail and, and then she wanted to do it. And I didn't want to <laughs> do it because she didn't look like Laura. Well, this is his biggest... The biggest crime that Donna has is that she does not look like Laura. I mean, it's it's the biggest crime that he sees when he looks around the world. And that's why only Maddie can ever satisfy him. Yes. Um, yeah. but it's yeah. not the, like the, the, the biggest crime the devil ever pulled was not making the world think that he didn't exist. It was by not looking like Laura. I could just see James in hell. Like, I'm... I, no, I don't want to burn. You don't look like Laura. I'll burn I'll for Laura. I regularly picture James in hell, if that makes you feel any better. It kind of does, a little bit. It's a special special circle in hell, just reserved for him. Where they and just play that Just You and just, I song at him. Yes, it's like a, there's a, a... Maybe James is in hell. We, we thought this. Maybe James is dead. Maybe Twin Peaks is James's circle of hell, where Laura is no longer there. And everyone doesn't look like Laura. It, it's they're all trapped in Nadine's coma. Yeah. Purgatory. 
Oh, that scene's coming up, and that scene is fucking glorious. It, That's all I'm going to say. It, all right, so let's get to some skag first. <laughs> uh, yeah, so Donna comes in, and she's like, the fuck, you guys? Like, every time yeah. I turn around, I can't, I can't show up anywhere without you two about to fuck in front of me. And James is like, but you don't look like Laura. And she's like, all right, fine, I'm leaving. And so she, <laughs> she goes off. And then we cut to uh, One-Eyed Jacks where they have given Audrey some uh, some horse, some white pony. Yeah, that's just quite... <laughs> bone china, some clean born and propane. This bit's quite, like, ominous and quite creepy. This is, like, where, like, once again, that, that kind of, the, the merging of kind of quirkiness and actually really dark content, um weirdly sit side by side in this show so essentially what they're what we find is that you know they're going to get her hooked on heroin um, and keep her hostage so that ultimately what will happen is ben will pay to get her back but in paying to get her back he will basically pay himself out of ownership of the club so it will become blackies um and that, you know, as as stories go in Twin Peaks, that is is rooted very much in you know like reality. That's like a that's a real thing that happens to people in the sex trade. Uh, their pimps will get them hooked on drugs, so it almost commands loyalty. Uh, I love how this is just sashayed in here as if it's fuck all in the story. It's so weirdly, weirdly done and so unnecessarily cruel to the very beautiful Audrey Horn. It's really a sordid storyline because they're videotaping it too. Yeah, which yeah. is creepy. Right, which you know they're going to send the videotape to to you know Ben Horn and all, but it's still like, eh, eh, I don't know. I don't I, like not just because it's Audrey Horn, although you know you don't want to. Audrey Horn should be in control, not not all messed up on the clean burning propane. Yeah, and or White Tiger. Is what Blackie calls it. Um, so yeah, they, it's really unfortunate uh, to to see her in that position, and it is kind of like of all the things, like this is like a sex trafficking storyline in Twin Peaks. Yeah, like okay. just, let's just segue that in here. Um, but all right, fine. You know, it was the nineties; you could get away with anything. Um, so back at Sheriff Truman's office, the one armed man is there. Uh, to show off some shoes because yep. Truman is in the uh, in the market for um, some some shoes for the department, and he happens to see uh, one of the pictures of Bob, which yep. apparently everybody in this town has some relationship to this mysterious character. Well, we we already kind of knew this anyway through Cooper's vision, which we'll get into in a bit more detail when Cooper mentions it herself. But we already kind of know that there is some sort of relationship between the one-armed man and Bob, because Cooper had mentioned this in the previous season after his vision. Um, and yeah, so he, he kind of goes a bit scatty after seeing him, and um, in, in true nature, using the word scatty, he goes to the toilet and locks himself in a cubicle. <laughs> Um, and yeah, he, he, he runs in there uh, and tries to basically give himself an injection of. I, we don't quite know what it is. I, I, I'm a, 
assuming it's some sort of narcotic. Um, I, I, w- I thought it was like something that would prevent the seizure that happens, but yeah, it could just be some skag, some gang, <laughs> some white tiger, some yayo, some bone china. <laughs> but as soon as, as he injects himself, he kind of gets this weird kind of glassy eye look that comes over him um, and he, he kind of walks out the stall and he says, you know, I'm after you now. Um, but yeah. So, yeah, he's on a bob hunt. Yeah, he's, um, he's, he's hunting the bob. Uh, which, bob. my geometry teacher from high school, Bob Hunt. Um, it's not true. That wasn't his name at all. Uh, <laughs> also, uh, Agent Cooper has the good sense to see Shelly Johnson out of teacher. this scene. What a weird thing. America, honestly. Your geometry teacher. What? What would you call him? He was the guy who well, taught geometry. The math teacher. Yeah, but he taught he taught maths, geometry, trigonometry. He taught everything because in our country, our math teachers excel, so they can do all of them in one class. Yeah, we, we need like specialisms and. <laughs> well, better yet, if this was an AP uh, geometry class, totally washed out. <laughs> How often have you had to use geometry? Um, never ish. Let me <laughs> let me think. Have, not... Only when you have to navigate, and then someone developed a sat nav, and you were like, "Where well, that's me. Google Maps, fuck geometry." Yeah, I, I, it's just never come up for me. I don't I don't work in cartological studies. Oh, uh, nice. thank you. Um, I, like I, I, I wonder if you know someone that does though. No, I don't. Um. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Do you want to toot your own horn here about how good you are at maps and geometry? No, Go ahead, no, McLeish. no, 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 Bo, Bo. <laughs> no one knows what I do for a living, and let's keep it that way. You've told me a couple of times, and I still don't know. Yeah, so. in fairness, no one knows. Oh, oh, I keep directing them back to I am essentially Stu from what we do in the shadows, which is great, <laughs> which is amazing. Um, Works with databases. <laughs> so. So, oh, but yeah, so so Agent Cooper does the thing we all want to do in this episode, which is show Shelly Johnson the fucking door, because uh, <laughs> she comes in to not answer questions uh, to, to Sheriff Truman, yeah. uh, who's like, you know, look, we know you were, we know Leo set the fire, we believe that he did, we know you were there, yeah. so why don't you just come clean? And she's like, nope, nope, I gotta take my vegetable husband home, and everything's gonna be cool. And Agent Cooper walks in and is like, get the fuck out of here. Like, we're having a good time in this episode. Don't fuck this up for the rest of us. And she's like, what? I, are you sure you don't want to question me? He's like, I said go. Get out of here. And she does. So Agent Cooper, once again, taking the reins and making it happen. Hero. But when he's in there, a conversation comes up about the one-armed man. And, yeah, it mentions how, Truman uh, mentions how he saw the picture of, Bob and kind of freaked out a little bit and Cooper snaps into action he's like wait one second in my vision they knew each other to the bathroom and they all like once again the cream corn hands go do 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 they all like, <laughs> they all run there and they open the stall and all there is is a syringe on the floor but yeah. Bo this is important why is it important? Uh, why is it important? what if I forgot? because the, <laughs> the giant said to him oh he will yeah he will point uh, without chemicals. 
Yeah, there you go. So it's all coming full circle. It's a circle of life. I. Like these shows just get crazier as they go on. It, right. I think, it's, it, I think it's the time difference, and I think it's the length of the episodes. You have they been just, loose tonight, sir. I'm Lucy Goosey, my friend. Lucy Goosey. Uh, speaking of Lucy, we're not going to talk about her anymore in this episode. Um, because <laughs> all right, so now we got to go prove that Ben Horn's a real dick too. Because uh, yeah. Agent Cooper is like, finally, after an episode and a half, he's like, oh, right, Audrey called me. Uh, and he goes to Ben, and he's like, hey, have you heard anything from Audrey? I'm kind of looking for her, you know? And yep. Ben, in you know, as any father would, is like, <laughs> Audrey's kind of a whore, and sometimes it's, it's, she takes off. Yeah, and then he basically wants to know why he's so interested and then gives him a bit of hit and friendly advice, which turns out to be the creepiest advice ever. No father should ever give advice about his daughter this way. Which is essentially like, just stay away from her, man. She's trouble. F-I-R-E trouble. Yes. And uh, and, and Agent Cooper's like, I, well, I have nothing but the you know purest of intentions and all that yeah. stuff. It, I mean, it's just Ben Horn being a jerk. Yeah, this is who Ben Horn is. Ben Horn thinks that if any guy even remotely mentions a woman, it means he wants to fuck her. Yes, yes. And uh, and in fairness, Agent Cooper probably kind of does. Um, yeah, but can you blame him? Well, really? of course not. Of course not. Um, Still my beating heart. So, Michael Parks joins the show. Welcome. Which is an amazing cameo. Welcome, uh, Michael Parks. He is the brother of Jacques Renault, the the sadly deceased Jacques Renault. Can we have a Jacques Renault impression just, just it, for good old times? You know what? Just hang on, because it's going to be the same thing for Jacques. <laughs> they literally went to the same coach. And I like Mike, Michael Parks is usually pretty good at impressions uh, or accents, unless you watch fucking Tusk. Fuck Tusk. It's, yeah, it's not good. Um, but so Jean <laughs> Renault shows up with like uh, Blackie's sister mm-hmm. and Whitey, Whitey, and he's like, <laughs> I see you have someone on the heroin, the gank, the yayo, and <laughs> Zutalor. Uh, <laughs> As you heard my new album, it is called Avec Log. <laughs> Avec Log. She is a good record, no? Um, <laughs> God damn all. And <laughs> <laughs> he's oh, like, yes. candy is dandy, no? Um <laughs> As he's as he's given uh, Audrey a little more a, a little more yayo, and uh, all drugs are yayo. It, I, I like the universe we've created. Yes, and <laughs> so Blackie's like, "Hey, it's fine that you're here, but can you get rid of my sister?" Yeah. And uh, Whitey is <laughs> that's not her name. No, it's not. 
But I like it though. I, I do. I like Blackie and Whitey. We're we're a simple people, Duncan, and that's how we like it. Um so Whitey is like, I'm not going anywhere. And Jean is Jean Renault basically says, like, hey, end of the day, we can't give Audrey back. Yeah. You know, she's gotta die. Uh except he says, you know, the girl, she is going to die. Um <laughs> And uh, and and so now Audrey is not only being held against her will, uh, she is now on a bit of a timer yep. uh, before she is is murdered by Jean Renault and Blackie and Whitey. Yeah, and <laughs> Which is another sentence I didn't think you'd ever have to say, but I'm glad you did. I, I like it. Um, so Sheriff Truman. Uh, uh, bus in to the sheriff's office or agent Cooper bus in with some donuts for uh, Sheriff Truman and Sheriff Truman is once again feeling a bit of angst um, over the Josie Packard situation who has been notoriously absent from the past couple of uh, couple of episodes yeah but uh, he hasn't seen her and you know, he's like, look, before we bring her in to talk to her about this fire that's, you know, super suspicious, uh, he wants to talk to her first. And Agent Cooper's like, eh, it's not such a great idea. I mean, you're kind of close to this. And Sheriff Truman says, um, please? And Agent Cooper's like, all right, you're a good egg, Harry. <laughs> so, um, we, and th- this is where we have the most glorious scene in the episode. Tell us about it, Bo. Big Ed. Oh, what a guy. Big Ed's a good guy. Uh, Dr. Hayward, uh, like Big Ed's at the hospital hanging out with Nadine, who is, of course, in a coma, as we have established. Ed, I'm in a coma! I'm in a coma, Ed! I can't see anything! Not even with my good eye! And... <laughs> You could just totally fuck with her while she's in a coma and switch the patch over. Well, so when are, she woke up, she thought she was blind. I'm blinded! But you don't want to do that because they had to shackle her. Because apparently Nadine is the only person in the history of medical science to have, like, violent coma outbursts. Well, uh, we already know that she can bend fucking steel as if it was butter being cut through with a hot knife. It is, it's such a weird, weird character trait that she is not only one-eyed and kind of crazy, but also super strong. Yeah, um, like, insanely strong. And I'm a coma hawk and a coma <laughs> hawk! Uh, <laughs> so, coma hawk um, has been, like, chained and, like, her restrained so that she doesn't just violently rip the hospital apart like some yeah. kind of King Kong-esque monster. And Dr. Hayward is like, I don't know, maybe sing to her? Because maybe she can hear that or something? And maybe because this is what we do in Twin Peaks now, we just have at least one song every episode. Twin Peaks has become a variety show. Yeah. <laughs> At one point, Goldie Hawn pops out of a wall and is like, sock it to me. Um, <laughs> that is not out of the question. That could totally happen. So Ed takes her hand and starts singing uh, the Tennessee Waltz 
which is a song that if you come from my part of the world, uh, you are forced to learn uh, when you are a child. And it's a terrible, god-awful song. Um, But as he's singing, she begins to grip his hand very tightly to the point where it is is clearly hurting him. Yeah. And then... Oh, man. I almost wish this were a video podcast just for this. Because... It's fucking amazing, this scene. She breaks her restraints. Her eye opens... And she starts cheerleading from the bed. Yeah. And she's like, Hi, Ed! I'm a cheerleader! (laughs) And she now believes that she is an 18-year-old cheerleader. Which, you know... Why Why not? Why not? You know, stranger things have stranger things happened in Twin Peaks. I don't know. Yeah, well, yes, yes, but this is in the top five, and Ed is understandably gobsmacked uh, by by the proceedings. Um, Meanwhile, not to be outweirded, we have to pay a visit to Doctor Jacoby. Uh, with Agent Cooper and uh, 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 Sheriff Truman, uh, ch- start chatting with uh, Dr. Jacoby, who is still in the hospital after his heart attack, um, his violence-induced heart attack. And um, he has his wife, who who knew he was married. Like, no one. Right, but his Hawaiian wife... Yeah, has, his Hawaii, that's right, which we would never have seen coming. It's not as if he's fixated on Hawaii. Right, of course not. Aloha, Bo. Aloha means hello and goodbye. It's says just stupid. Everyone who goes to Hawaii and who could give a shit. Yeah, um, it's just stupid. It's yeah. just stupid. It's it. right. It's imprecise, and I don't care for it. Yeah, they should they should opt to to go down a more kind of formal Japanese route where there is like about forty ways to say hello. Um, yeah. Not, not many to say goodbye. My favorite of the hello ones is mushy mushy. Oh yeah, mushy mushy. mushy, mushy. Yeah, that yeah. typically a phone greeting. Um, yep. So we're so smart. Um, yep. <laughs> but Doctor Jacoby has planned his own hypnotic triggers so that he can easily be led into trance, so that uh, he can hopefully give up some information about who was there to uh, murder. Jacques Renault, clearly not Leland Palmer, even though we know it's Leland Palmer. Um, and so they they try to get him to reveal the name. Uh, Sheriff Truman almost goes under himself, uh, which is pretty funny. And uh, but he can't quite get the name out before we cut to a scene of owls. So, you know, Al's... You're really pushing this owl thing this season. It really feels like there's something going on with the owls. Uh, yeah, perhaps like they're not what they're... they seem. Yeah, I was going to say maybe because they're not what they seem, but... Yeah. I mean, to me, when I look at them, I see owls, but I- I'm not seeing the truth. So, Donna... Um, I think go... the important question we need to ask about the owls is, 
Who are the elves? Who, 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 who? <laughs> it's so dumb. Oh, God. It, uh, we have no subscribers to this podcast left. <laughs> um, so Donna is at the at the cemetery under the watchful eyes of of owls. Yes. Um, and she's kind of pissed off at Laura. She's putting the flower that that uh, Electric Dreams gave her, and yeah. on the grave, and and kind of saying how pissed she is because Laura left, and there was this balance when Laura was alive that no longer exists. That she's in love with James, but. James probably thinks he's still dating Donna and just that Maddie's Donna. Um, <laughs> well, they both have dark hair, so. Right. It's, a, it's a perfect hybrid, isn't it? It really One is. looks like Laura and has Donna's hair. I'm going to call you Dora. <laughs> You're part Donna. Donna's nice, but she doesn't look like Laura, and you look like Laura. Um, <laughs> so... I'm glad you went down that road and you didn't call her daddy. Oh, Donna yeah. Daddy. Lana. Who's your daddy and what does he do? Who? Um, so, James, uh, so speaking <laughs> well, of... You're just like that, moving on. <laughs> I Yeah, I mean, it's just too dark a road to go down. Um, <laughs> so, because, Matt, like, following this, we go to a scene with, with James and Maddie, and James is being brooding and all that. Yeah, he's he's, the, he's trying to mull over the fact that everything he does involving Maddie upsets Donna, the woman he quote-unquote loves. Yeah. So, of course, he spends his brooding time with Maddie because nothing bad will happen there, bro. Right, well, th- so they finally kiss because Maddie is out of town and it doesn't count if you're in a different zip code. You know what I'm saying, Duncan? Zip code, that's right. Uh, she's like, look, I'm going to get it wet while I'm here. And when I get back to town, I'll forget all about James Hurley and his, you know, monosyllabic grunting. Yeah. <laughs> but Donna catches him kissing, and she's like, son of a bitch, every time I turn around with you two. <laughs> and James uh, runs after her, but not before breaking a lamp in the Palmer household. Uh, bad form, James. Yep. Yeah, it's three years bad luck. A lamp is? Is that no, the the, the exchange rate? Mirror seven. Sort of thing that 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 David Lynch believes. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. Yeah, lamps lamps are three years bad luck. Lamps are the window to the soul. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> so. I don't know what that means. So David 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 Lynch exists in a world where all this all the common scenes that we have are perverted by his brain when he swaps ones. <laughs> yes. Oh God, yes. Uh. All right, we're we're kill, kill, kill three sheep with one tank. Um. <laughs> it's nothing but cream corn to a white tiger. <laughs> that old chestnut. Uh, the old iguana and a top hat. The old. <laughs> the, the old dock worker in the magic hat. Um, <laughs> anyway. Oh, dear, we're so close to the end of this. Episode. I know, so I know. Close. We're delaying the inevitable. All right, so Maddie, after the big scene, 
that James makes and, and breaks the lamp uh, in, in, you know, three years of bad luck ensue. Um, she is talking to Leland and is like, you know what? I just came here because I love Laura. I wanted, I want her to feel, uh, or I want to, to try to help. Uh, I want to express my own grief. And I keep, every time I turn around, something's popping off around here. It's like this town is weird or something. And I wish that we could just go back to a time before, you know, Laura was dead. And Leland's like, oh, sister, I know what you're preaching. <laughs> uh, Have you noticed my hair is white? Yeah. And also, sometimes I get the crazy songs and just pass the fuck out afterwards. <laughs> Leland ain't doing so great. Um, also, I'm calling Norway and the Icelanders <laughs> at all hours. Uh, I called them today at noon, which is like next Thursday, their time. Not yeah, doing well. I don't well. even know where Norway is on a map. I I think it's near the equator. I can't be sure. <laughs> no one can be. No one knows where it is. Um, <laughs> it's a mystery. It's the land that time forgot. Um, anyway, so Donna. Oh, oh, before we leave this scene, the important thing happens, which is... Uh, Agent Cooper and Sheriff Truman show up and they're like, hey, Leland, um, we're going to have to take you to jail now because apparently Dr. Jacoby had his breakthrough and did name uh, Leland Palmer as the murderer of Jacques Renault. And they put the cuffs on him and you hear, ow, bad boys, bad boys, what you going to do? What you going to do when they come for you? Bad boys, bad <laughs> Although Agent, uh, or not Agent, Deputy Hawk. Is Hawk why is Hawk not here? Hawk should be making the arrest. Well, Hawk, I'm sure, was in a tree outside. Yeah. Uh, in case Leland Hawk. made a break for it. And then he would swoop down and tackle him to the ground. <laughs> <laughs> doing, doing something awesome. Like, he was all ready to do something awesome. It's just it wasn't required. Hawk, Hawk would have went down to that, but a, a field mouse distracted him. Fucking His predator nature took over. <laughs> and from a half mile up, he sees the mouse. This is kryptonite. It really is. Oh, yeah. A, a small rodent. That's the only way you can get away from Hawk. Like, if he's chasing you down an alleyway or something like that, you deploy a mouse <laughs> from your pocket and run. Yeah, I mean, if Jean Renault were smart, he would have just a six-pack of field mice in his jacket pocket <laughs> at all times. Otherwise, he's going to get hawked. It's like essentially what you do when a missile gets launched at a plane and you fire all those flares. Yeah, the chaff to, to try to... <laughs> yeah. But it's all, it's all mice. <laughs> squeak, squeak, squeak. Oh, wait. <laughs> ha ha. Foiled you, Deputy Hawk. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, we did. <laughs> so, uh, the, the episode ends um, with Electric Dreams uh, and Donna. Um,. Because that's where she goes to. She goes to be with a real man, right? She's like, I don't. Why am I even upset about this? And so she she goes to you know uh, Agent Smith, 
And he's like, here, I will get you flowers, Donna. <laughs> and uh, she's checking those out. But then he, uh, then she discovers, um, quite by accident, a.k.a. snooping around on his desk, yep. um, that he has a, a book, a, a leather-bound book, that uh, is <laughs> cleverly titled, This is the Diary of Laura Palmer. Yeah, yeah. So, we now need to ask ourselves, Bo, uh, did he know all those details, or does he only know those details because he read it in the diary? Right. How did he come into possession of the diary? Um, is, was it something she gave to him for safekeeping, potentially? Um, like, we don't know any of these things. Yeah. Uh, but we know that perhaps he is not all that he seems. Yeah, much like the elves. Oh, I thought you said the elves. No, owls. Owls, yes. Yes, much like the elves. <laughs> I was like, what the hell does Dan Haggerty have to do with any of this? Because <laughs> he was in the movie Elves. Um, oh, I know, I know. I had to review it at Christmas. I cr- fucking Christmas, because people voted on it. Yeah, it's a great holiday film if you don't it's care a, about what you're watching. It's a great holiday film if you hate yourself. Yeah, yeah, that too. Or people hate you and ask you to watch it. Uh, um, so yeah, so that's that's where the episode finishes on that kind of dun 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 sort of moment. Yeah, and I, I feel like we should do something we haven't done in a couple of episodes, which is just let's take a look at the state of Laura Palmer's murder. Okay. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah because apparently, apparently, well, Twin Peaks is not giving a fuck about that now. Um, <laughs> because these last two episodes have literally had nothing to do with Laura Palmer's death. Well, you could argue that the search for Bob is the thrust of it, right? I mean, the reason they're the, hunting for Bob is because they believe Bob was the man uh, in they, the train. They believe. They believe. <laughs> Cooper believes. Jeff Truman is not on board with Bob yet. He's not fully on board with the Bob theory. Uh, on board with Bob... One of my favorite travel shows. <laughs> uh, it's, just, it's, it's just Bob Ross painting pictures on berries. <laughs> I would love it if Bob Ross played on Bob trees. in Twin Peaks. How amazing would that be? It's like crawling over a tree. We're just going to put a little tree down here. Yeah. He's our little friend. He's our We're little just... friend. And by the way, I murdered Laura Palmer. Reverend Pal- I'm just going to uh, paint a little bit of Blood Red Lake here. Uh, it is your blood. Um, and how about uh, a- another sketch of me? Yeah, in charcoal. It looks good. Uh, looks good. I am coming uh, scene the falling over a couch and making you sit in that shape terror. I'm just going to put on a little push down. He's your friend. Well, welcome to the joy of furniture climbing with Bob. Uh, <laughs> You're going to want to extend your arms and uh, legs uh, a little spider-like. Really scary. Really scary. The joy joy of uh, furniture climbing, which was essentially a precursor to parkour or park bench core. (gasps) Oh, wow. (laughs) You just blew my damn mind. Um, but yeah, so Bob is, is our kind of one and only suspect at this point. Yeah. Well, in fairness, we've, we've discounted the, our main suspect in the last season was Leo and Leo was 
for all intents and purposes, a vegetable now. And we know that it wasn't Leo. And our crazy girl, uh, Renette, has, has pr- I was going to say fingered Bob, but that's a different movie. Um, <laughs> what about fingering Bob? <laughs> <laughs> and if you just uh, tickle my asshole right here, he's your little friend there. Oh, <laughs> what? Two, two, little, two, two, two little friends in there. Two little, three, three little friends in there. Wow, Bob you... Ross getting fingered. That's what it be. Yeah, I get it. That is filthy, sir. <laughs> yeah, three digits. Um, three digits deep. Oh, it's the name I, uh... of the second album by Needing's Wet Dream, Comahawk. Just uh, fit the whole hand in there. I think you. Yeah, you're gonna want to make a fist once it's all inside. Um, wait, wait, wait a second. That's a, that's a, that's a knuckle. Um, <laughs> oh, that is some ring you're wearing. I can really feel that. <laughs> is it nickel? Nickel? Huh. <laughs> silver, silver. No, it's silver. silver. Huh, I'm yeah. allergic to silver! <laughs> um, <laughs> Bob, Bob Ross, werewolf painter, allergic to silver fisting. That's <laughs> 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 some straight up fan fiction right there. Oh, oh yeah, go God. to Amazon. That's Somebody's amazing. written it. Uh, oh, that's the best. That's the best. The fisting werewolf of the Moors. <laughs> Beware the moors, laddie. Careful you're not fisted. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) 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 I want to see somebody do some art of that shit. Oh, that joke's got legs. Oh, that's amazing. Oh, that's actually amazing. Uh, this whole recording has been worth it tonight. The whole recording has been worth it. Um, so yeah, uh, in answer to your question, if we're checking back in in terms of how our case is pre- proceeding uh, to find uh, Laura Palmer's um, murderer, I don't think it's proceeding all that great. Although we do have a lead that kind of roughly says that Bob is a real person and Bob lived in a house that Leo and Palmer used to somewhere near, up beside a lake. And that's, Hawk was deployed to go and uh, scope that out, which is why Hawk wasn't in the later scene. But I'm just going to say it, but this show is now, if you're watching this for the first time running through, or you're coming back to watch it again, this show is starting to lose focus. It really uh, is. And it's, what it's do you mean? To, it's starting to expand out and give us backstories and forward stories for characters who were superficial in the previous season but now seem to it's like they're trying to fill in fill in details about characters who were superfluous to the the overall experience of season one. Um the tone has dramatically changed. I think this is far goofier. And it is worth it is worth pointing out at this point. In this season, there's still, like, I think there's, like, 17 or 18, maybe even more than that, episodes left to go. Yeah. So there is a long road to tow here, and um, 
the seams are starting to show early. Like, I was watching it through, and we're getting some amazing scenes, but we are getting some, like, anchor dragging along the ground scenes, um, which I, I unfortunately know the further we go into that, become more prominent. So, um, yeah, I thought, I actually genuinely thought I'd get further into season two before I started to feel a bit of fatigue kicking in. But it turns out this episode might be the one that starts to... I don't know how you feel. Are you still... I, <coughs> yes, I, I I do see the seams showing here. Yeah. But I'm still into it because I still think it's kind of true to its soap opera roots. Like uh, Nadine waking up from a coma and thinking Fine that she... That. What's yeah, that? I'm fine with that. I'm fine with Nadine and all the rest. I think it's more the fucking the Lucy story. I could not give yeah. a tiny rat's ass about. I can't be bothered with the Shelley Bobby story, even though I know where that goes and it does get more interesting the further the show goes on, kinda. Um, but yeah, the the fucking Red lookalike character, um, who's now like in Lucy's life and potentially the father of her. I could not give a tiny rat's ass about him at all. Um, and yeah, it just it's it seems like it seems like there's a bit of a lot. I like I couldn't care about James and Maddie and Donna. Although once again, mm. I know that that kind of starts to bear fruit, but at this point, it's just like let's remember fundamentally what the show is about. Who killed Laura Palmer? Let's get let's let's. I know what we're trying to do. We're trying to create longevity for the show because season one was really popular. But let's focus in on that. That should ultimately we should be asking ourselves at the end of every episode, like we did just now, Bo, was right. Where are we with the investigation? And I don't think we've moved that far. A lot these last two episodes have basically been confirming two characters within the show stuff that the audience already knows. Minus the location, the potential location of where Bob was, the real Bob um, was. Out with that, it's a lot of weird lynching hokum. Which is the stuff that I enjoy. Unfortunately, like you said, you get a bunch of Bobby and Shelley stuff that you couldn't possibly care about. and uh, Yeah, it's it's unfortunate, and and we're in for a bit of a, 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 a rough ride here. Much <laughs> Much like the old fisting werewolf. Um, <laughs> oh. um, I like how at the end he kind of likes it. Um, yeah, oh, he always likes it because he's, he's just taking a, a, a silver fisted ring up his fulman. And... <laughs> fulman. Oh my goodness. I, I, the x rays must be fascinating. <laughs> if you can get a fisting werewolf. Yeah, first of all, getting him into an X-ray booth not easy, but if you not can, all oh, the story it will tell. <laughs> I mean, there's light bulbs, matchbox cars, a lit candle. It's the contents of Josie's stomach, <laughs> right? No, yeah. oh, this fisting werewolf came up from the Mississippi. Uh, <laughs> oh, it's so good. Um, I really do want that shirt now. Um, <laughs> hey, speaking of listeners. Oh, it's like a, you like you're some sort of professional. Oh, I know. It's like you've been doing this for a while. Yeah, I all right. So 
let's let's wrap her up here. Um, I'm I, I do have a couple of notes. Uh, first of all, um, thank you for listening. God bless you for for putting up with this. Uh, <laughs> and I like to think that this episode was a little bit more straightforward and less silly than the previous episode, but that's a lie. Right, it's, lie. We are we are descending into a point where eventually it's just going to be us making fart noises at each other for two and a half hours. Uh, I would argue still entertaining. Yeah. If it's a one-off show, still entertaining. I, I mean, that's our Grammy. Um, <laughs> but uh, quit distracting me. So, um, hey, uh, here at Legion Podcasts, uh, which is uh, the um, umbrella under which all these shows are, uh, are, are, are nestled, hidden, sheltered from the storm, Duncan. Um. So, uh, we got a t-shirt coming. Um, that'll be, uh, happening soon, but I wanted to give you a heads up, uh, for a couple of reasons. One, um, they're not gonna be super expensive, but you know, like 20, 25 bucks, something like that. We'll, we'll figure out the pricing as we go. Um, maybe a little bit pricier because they're full color and all that stuff. Um, but we'll see. We're going to try to keep it down, but, uh, squirrel some money away, right? Like, uh, all that money you've been saving for a rainy day, it's about to pour motherfuckers. And it's gonna, it's gonna rain down Legion podcast T-shirts. Um, yeah, that that felt good. Also, also, uh, keep an ear out because we are recording a a brand new Devour the Podcast this weekend. I know, I know that was a that was a bit of a shock. It was to all of us. I I honestly, I'm not sure if I'm gonna be there. Um, no, you're I'll be, gonna be. There. Yeah, of course I will. So uh yeah, so look for that in the in the next couple of weeks. You're gonna see some uh some news about the shirt, some new devour the podcast. And uh um I would also point out the new podcast uh from Rick Morgan and Johnny Krug called Short Bus Cinema. So uh over at Legion Podcasts, there is always something shaken, and it's not always a fat guy's cheeks. Um mostly it's a fat guy's cheeks. So, Duncan, what, yes. what would you like to to pimp my my fist in a werewolf in crime? <laughs> um, there is a uh, two episodes of the podcast under the stairs out this week. One of them dropped today, which means it's out now. Um, <laughs> I loved everything about that. I'm not gonna lie to you. <laughs> As a bonus episode with the Baz, the Baz talks about, oh, that, so you're going to love this episode if you've not listened to it yet, but um, a, a really bad purchase that he made for, for a movie which came out on DVD in 2013 and was solely sold on the premise that there's an interactive app that you can download to go along with it. Um, the movie is called Panzer, or if you're, um, if you're in different countries, it may be known as Panzer Chocolate. That's uh, that was the title I saw. I've never heard of this movie. I have no idea what this movie is. Oh, you need to listen to Bass talk about it um, because it's an experience and a half. Um, so yes, yeah, so he comes on the show. We do some listener questions. The Baz is generally being his Bazzy self, um, and it is a ton of fun. And if you if you have enough time to squeeze in a video commentary, um, I did one for Invaders from Mars, the the remake by Toby Hooper who. Um, as an inconsistent director, and it turns out Invaders from Mars, not a movie that uh, I enjoyed re- 
really revisiting. It was um, <coughs> I've only ever seen it once before. I said I was going to start doing my commentaries not only on movies that I absolutely fucking love, but movies I've never seen before, and try and pick up some movies that I don't like, that I haven't seen in a while. So Invaders from Mars, I remember getting on VHS when I was a kid, um, and I couldn't remember quite why I didn't like it, and then watching it back, I, I kind of realised why I didn't like it. It's like the stuff, but without the fun. Yeah, I think it's that's... A, it feels like it dry. There's a whole middle section. It's goofy at the beginning, and it's goofy at the end. Karen Black's awesome in it, but that movie drags its heels for a good 45 minutes in the middle, where it's just like, can we move the story along, please? Special effects are really good, though. And that they have actually surprisingly stood the test of time, um, considering that movie was 85 or 86. Yeah, it was mostly like puppet work and practical effects, though. So yeah, even but even the digital effects, the lightning digital effects, are actually really really good. The CGI hmm. is surprisingly well done um, and held up on the the, the Blu-ray release. So yeah, but overall, not a movie that I'd be low to recommend it. Um, I thought it was I, th- I thought it was okay, but um, like I say, you you take movies in a similar sort of vein about you know kind of plagiarized versions of, of things like Invasion of the Body Snatchers and stuff, that whole kind of, someone's come to the town, they're taking over the town and um, all the rest, watch this stuff. Or watch Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Fucking amazing movie. Oh, yeah. Oh, like, like both versions, the original 50s version and that 70s version, which could be one of the finest remakes of all time. So. It's yeah, that and the fly. You can always you can debate that uh, and and throw the thing in, but the thing yeah, is, yeah, those three, those three for me are, and I would throw the blob in there as well. Actually, oh, that those is a good remake. Are, those four, and it's funny how all of those movies are remakes of sci-fi movies from the fifties and sixties. Yeah, yeah, that's how you do it. How did so. we get off on this topic? I have no idea. It's, it's, it's almost as if we've said to ourselves, these episodes aren't long enough. Um, I think it's because we're pinpointed to just doing Twin Peaks, and like at least with the, the previous Duncan and Bo Come Correct episodes, we had carte blanche to go off and talk about other movies, and we don't have that now. Um, and I think the cabin fever starting to set in. So we just, just like we do, do it, it anyway. Yeah, it's our rebel punk spirit. I like it. Yeah. So yeah. So that, those are out for so the podcast under the stairs is back, um, and just under. Two weeks' time, Chronicle will be making its almighty return to Legion Podcasts. Season 3, exclusively looking at Lucio Fulci. Um, seven movies from the, the Godfather of Gore. Um, and not all the movies are good. Because I'm, I'm not just going to talk about amazing movies. We have to talk about chinks in the armour. Um, so we will be doing that. So that will be coming back as well. So keep your eyes peeled for that. Exclusively on LegionPodcast.com. Ah, I can't wait. All right. Um... Folks, thank you again uh, for for listening uh, to I don't I don't even know what to call this anymore. Is it a podcast? Is it a, an art installation? An experience, I like to call it. It's like a, a as an experience. The Duncan and Bo experience. I like it. Oh my god, make that happen. Uh, Duncan and Bo experience presents Fisting Werewolf coming soon. <laughs> <laughs> All right, score score by Comahawk oh. and Avec Log. A Vec log, a Vec log would open for Comahawk. Or it, actually, if Comahawk headline, it would be Comahawk a Vec log, which is kind of genius in itself. All right, shut up. Say goodnight, Duncan.
Good night, Duncan. Oh, night, everybody. Just you.